Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sports Goofs number 83. We've got a new logo, a new look. Still experimenting with that. And we have another guest with us today, Jeremy Taché of Swings and Mishes. So, of course, I'm joined by my good buddies, Andrew and Charles. Uh, How is everyone doing so far today, this evening? Doing well. Okay. Yeah, doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's good. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. I'm Jeremy, for those of you who don't recognize this disembodied voice. Uh, <laughs> this is Jeremy. So thank you guys for having me on. So, Jeremy, uh, you are a noted UCF alum. Hmm. Um, I'm a Florida hmm. State alum, and I do recognize your 2017 national championship, so I'm on your side. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that because Andrew will kill me <laughs> if I do not acknowledge the championship. Uh, all right. Uh, and you it. are, of course, a noted Shit's Creek aficionado, <laughs> a show that I have watched yes. a few times over as well. Oh, it's terrific. I'm in yet another rewatch as we speak. I'm actually in the middle of uh, in the middle of season five, watching the first time through with my girlfriend yeah. since we moved in together. Okay, perfect. And I'll I'll say this: I've seen a lot of um, people are using Shit's Creek uh, memes and and gifs a lot now. Uh, but Jeremy was the first. <laughs> so well, thank you, thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm gonna take full credit for that one. Absolutely. All right. So uh, now that we have you here, uh, we we could talk about UCF, but I want to talk about baseball because you, of course, uh, cover the the Miami Marlins, my favorite baseball team, a team Mm -hmm. that I've I've run Marlins history on Twitter. So I'm very uh, uh, I'm very biased when it comes to the Marlins. But uh, Mm -hmm. you, of course, work in the media. I write for SB Nation for uh, the Florida Panthers site. Uh, oh, sure. but awesome. yeah, yeah, litter box cats. So, um, uh, I, I always have to put on my objective hat when it comes to hockey, but not when it comes to baseball. Uh, in any case, we do have questions about the past major league season. Of course, our boy Don Mattingly just won a national league manager of the year. Yes, he did. Uh, well-deserved yeah. for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, if I could take a second to just talk about that, I, I don't think there's a, it's I'm I'm hard pressed to find a more deserving manager of the year maybe ever right when you have to deal with the amount of roster moves that Don Mattingly did and just sort of meeting guys on the mound for the first time you know meeting relievers and piecing together a five game win streak coming out of you know your whole team essentially sixty percent of your team getting COVID and then you know fighting down the stretch making all the right moves i mean it felt like every time he went to a bullpen arm it ended up working out whether whether we all thought it was the right decision in the moment or not um and you know just to manage the personalities to deal with young kids with older veterans um you know his relaxed vibe um and his respect for you know obviously everyone in the media i mean we've we've always felt respected by him but his respect for every player he coaches whether they're supposed to be stars or they're, you know, guys that only got a shot because of all the COVID, uh, you know, COVID uh, injury list uh, placements. I just think that, that he, he pushed every right button and there's nobody more deserving. And, and I'm happy for him as a person that he gets to be in that spot. It's amazing this season. 
uh, yeah, I've been a noted Marlins fan. I was at Game Four of the 2003 NLDS. Uh, mm. I was, um, and I've so stuck that. through all these yeah. years. And a lot of people have stuck through. And and amazingly, uh, uh, the fan base. I want to talk about the fan base first uh, because yeah. uh, it's running Marlins history. Uh, it's it's been an eye opener for me because I've seen uh, fans who've been there since '93. Mm. Uh, and I've seen you know, fans, uh, I guess, our age, uh, millennial slash, and then I've seen the the, the Gen Zers, the people who yeah. who didn't see the Marlins in the playoffs or were way too young to have been right. be able to comprehend the 2003 championship, mm-hmm. and how each and every one of us was able to just get some semblance of happiness in this very difficult year for everyone. Oh gosh, yeah. It was, uh, I remember when we clinched at Yankee Stadium, and I, I actually predicted that if Charles remembers. I said, whatever. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I, Charles is a noted New York Yankees fan. Oh, perfect. And, and of course, he loves Donnie Baseball. He loves Derek Jeter and Jorge yeah, Posada. Yeah, it to be a nice little tie-in. Yeah, Jorge Posada is with us as well. Mm-hmm. It, and, it's kind of like adapting a stepchild that's not yours, but you still get the yeah. chance to. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. All right. You can take credit when you want. And yeah. just, you know, <laughs> listen, listen. Step in. We we, we felt he couldn't take the reins. He couldn't take the reins to be our manager. We instead went with Girardi. But you know, I always like Manny, and I think he, you know, he's had a deserving opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I said, well, what if at the beginning before the season started, I'm like, what if the Marlins had a chance to clinch the playoff spot at Yankee Stadium? And he's like, don't put that on me. I'm like, it could happen, and it sure enough, it did. So. I didn't buy any lottery tickets, unfortunately. But um, that day, after we clinched, and I called my dad, I I just I was just in my room, and I was just like going, yes, 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 yes. Like I was, I I've seen, you know, I've been a Miami Heat fan, uh, Florida Panthers fan, the Dolphins as well here in South Florida. Right. But I didn't feel the sense of happiness that I felt for the Marlins because, because of how much adversity that came with the, the COVID outbreak. And I don't know if you felt that way, seeing the fan base react to, yeah. to their playoff clinching this Gosh. year. I, I mean, so, so what is cool for me in getting to cover this team is, you know, I am a fan. I am a fan of the Marlins. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. Um, I, I feel like, you know, and this is the tough balance, and you were just talking about it with, with reporting on the Panthers, but, you know, I, I can't pretend like I didn't grow up in South Florida and, like, I wasn't, you know, the pluckiest and happiest eight-year-old kid when they won in 2003 um, and that I haven't experienced similar heartbreak to a lot of the rest of the fan base when it came to selling off teams and, you know, all, all the, the, the lack of ability to rebuild over the span of years. And so to see the Marlins make the playoffs now first as a, you know, Marlins fan, I called my dad too. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I called my dad and was like, you know, or I actually, I was sorry. I was, I think I was with my dad um, and, and called friends and was like, you know, this is amazing. This is, this is something that's special. And it's, it's, you don't always get to see your team make the playoffs. So from that perspective, I was happy to begin with, but in running the Swings and Mishes account on Twitter and on Instagram and then, you know, running my own account, which is obviously heavy Marlins when the season's going on, 
um, to get to inter- interact with so many Marlins fans that were experiencing this type of joy, um, whether it be for the first time because they're high school kids who, who don't remember, uh, you know, the 2003 season or let alone the 97 season, or, you know, adults who have now just gone 15 years without any semblance of success here in Miami on a baseball field. And now to have this team, this group, with everything that they overcame, I think there was a bit of a catharsis uh, for Marlins fans. And I also, you know, I weirdly feel like, you know, we talk about the joy that this brought during such unprecedented times, right? And, and, and sad times. Let's be, let's be frank about it. We, mm-hmm. The last nine months have been, frankly, really sad across this country um, for, for a multitude of different reasons. And so sports, more than ever, was all of our escapes, right? And then we saw the Marlins inflicted by the thing that we were sort of escaping by watching sports. And to see them overcome that specific thing and end up victorious in, in their own way. Obviously, there, there was only so much victory. They only passed through the first round, you know, made the playoffs, won a first round series. Both of those were sort of miracles in themselves. But to see that happen in that way, I, I don't know if it's sort of, but for me, it sort of felt like a parallel for like, you know what? There, there were brighter times ahead on the other side of this pandemic. Like it was, <laughs> it was a bit of a, of, of a metaphor for what we could only hope for in that positivity. And I think whether we all realized it consciously or not, that was a bit of the catharsis as well. So it wasn't just, hey, my team finally. It was also despite overcoming this, this really negative thing that was underneath all of it. So, um, and, and to hear stories of fans, I, mean, I had a, a, a woman after one of our, uh, one of our live streams on Swings and Missions reach out to me and, and say, you know, how thankful they were for our coverage this season and that she and her husband listened to every episode and watched every Marlins game from Japan. Wow. This season from Japan. It's like, what, how is this happening? This fan base is a lot more diverse than a lot of people. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, and, uh, and a lot more faithful than a lot uh, of people give credit. There's uh Marlins UK. He's a, uh, he's a pretty good yeah, follow oh, too. Best. Peter Pratt is. The yeah. Man. Peter is awesome. Yeah. He's, he's yeah, fun it, as well. Yeah. It's terrific. So I, you know, I was, I was very happy for the fan base. Um, and you know, and, and, and I was happy to, to cover, you know, a team, a group of guys that really deserved this as well. I I was um, I'm sorry I'm I'm taking it from 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 Andrew and Charles here, but I have a lot to say <laughs> here. Oh, um, in any case, um, seeing the entire dynamic of the season, uh, the Bob Nightingale report came out, and people were angry about that because he basically uh-huh. made a. Um, uh, uh, un, uh, unfounded speculation as to what happened, and then of course yeah. uh, our good boy Ricky Botella go out in Philadelphia, giving us mm. the the moniker for our season, the bottom feeders, mm-hmm. and that that seven game series against the Phillies was um, as close to the 2003 series that the Marlins had against the Phillies uh, when they swept them at home, right? As we right. could get, it was almost a direct parallel. Uh, or a, a comparison so uh it was beautiful to see as well and mm-hmm. uh here's a, a follow-up to that so uh i don't know if you've ever watched foolish baseball on youtube uh, i've seen a little bit but i i don't know enough okay uh so he he made a current video about the marlins and how the marlins won pandemic baseball sure and he made some uh very valid points as to how the marlins got to where they were especially given the, the the outbreak of the virus 
on the team. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's kind of aching it to him anomaly that the Marlins made the playoffs in this, of course, expanded playoff format and this and that, even though they did still have mm-hmm. a winning record. Do you sure. believe that, given that, um, whatever happens in 2021, whether it's 162 or if it's shortened, what have you, is have the Marlins taken that next step to competing, or are we still waiting for uh, all those guys that we, even though we brought up a ton of people <laughs> to right. fill out the roster right. from our from our farm system, we still have guys like Bladé and all those uh, waiting. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that we're getting there, or is it still two, maybe even three seasons away? Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't expect the Marlins in 2021 to be world beaters by any means. Um, but I also don't expect them to go back to being sort of a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were to come in last place in the NL East, would it be the most shocking thing in the world with the Mets going out and looking like they're going to spend $200 million this offseason and the Phillies possibly improving their bullpen, right? Because they would have <laughs> they would have been a lot better this year if they just There's nowhere to go but a, up for the Phillies. had a manageable bullpen, let alone good. <laughs> Right. So uh, there's a lot of really good teams in the National League East. Could the Marlins be the worst of them next year? Sure. But they won't be a bad baseball team. The Marlins could also, depending on the type of moves that they make this offseason, they could very easily find themselves back in the mix to to win the division or be a wildcard team yet again. In that uh, we given health, because that's a huge thing when you have a young pitching rotation. And I think that that's something that, Nonsense do have to set themselves up for mm-hmm. uh, is that that can always sort of fall apart, even if you, you project to go into seasons really well. I mean, think about all those years following that World Series run for the Mets where they had Harvey and Syndergaard and Wheeler and Mats and, and, and DeGrom, and not one time were all of them healthy at the same time. So that's true. when you're relying on a specific pitching staff, and right now that's not the deepest. You know, it'll get deeper and deeper as these guys all grow older. Right, but but if if Alcantara were to get hurt, you know, plugging in Braxton Garrett is not quite the same thing. At right, this point it's a massive yet. blow. Yeah, yeah, it's a big blow. Right, so and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's just something to keep in mind when you're relying on a young pitching staff that health is a factor. Um, but if the Marlins make the right type of moves and add, you know, a strong bat for the middle of the order in a corner outfield spot. Um, remain to you know maybe add a second baseman with some major league experience although I would love to see Jazz Chisholm get a shot every day personally mm-hmm. um, you know maybe even add at the catcher position uh, they could be in position to compete yet again and so I think to just assume that this was a fluke and this is the important part more so than, than even predicting next year to make this season a quote unquote fluke because of the shortened season because of you know, the expanded playoffs. Number one, the Cardinals would have had to play a couple extra games and, and, and maybe the Marlins themselves handle that final stretch of games a little bit differently if they had to win one or two more, right? right. Because that once they won on Friday night, they did not have to worry about the rest of the weekend. Um, you know, I, it would be discounting the the job that Don Mattingly did, the job that Miguel Rojas did at shortstop, right? right? That, the job that, that, that Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, those guys did on the mound, Jesus Aguilar, all these guys that contributed in the types of seasons they had, it would be discounting the work that was done there. So, no, I don't think that you can chalk it up to a fluke. And I think that the Marlins, 
should absolutely be competitive next season. I wouldn't start holding out hopes in, in the type of playoff expectations until the following season, where you do have a J.J. Blade who's gotten some major league at-bats, or maybe even a Peyton Burdick who's come up and gotten some major league at-bats, you know, and all of those prospects have rounded into form a little bit more. Okay. Uh, I got a question for you on that one, just to add on. Yeah. I don't understand how people can say, and, and listen, I'll, I'll say right now, I was one of the few calling it the participation trophy season. We all know that mm-hmm. because everybody did. But the thing for the Marlins is that they won their, they won their playoff games. You, know, they, right. what, you beat San Diego in the first round. Remember you serves me right? Sh- sh- Chicago. Chicago, that's right. You beat Chicago and you got eliminated by the Braves, right? It's a bit of a yep. so my brain looking. Yep. But you getting there, you beating the better team. The Cubs were a favorite in the beginning of the shortened season. Everybody was writing that David Ross love, though. I thought it was just a patch. I wasn't impressed, but they statistically had the better team. So you had a manager who outmanaged, you know, mm-hmm. doing what he had to do with a limited roster that had a lot of inexperience. So I don't get how people could say, hey, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, it's the bottom feeders they get in because the same thing would be for the Astros. And I'll tell you right now, I despise them. They are my real <laughs> Forget the Yankees <laughs> and the Red Sox rivalry. That's dead in the water. It means nothing to me. It's all Astros. But I'm not going to discredit the fact that they got it. to the ALCS to mm-hmm. get there because it's a – I think what happens is sometimes you take away, and I like how you mentioned about Mangley needs to get his, his just desserts. That's what he's getting here with his love is that – you can't take away what, like, Dusty Baker did. And I love Dusty. I want to exactly. see him on the ring. But the fact that he was going to be exactly. a bad guy killed me. And for Mattingly, <laughs> the biggest joke was the fact that he was just sipping my ties in Miami, knowing that he was going to be a fall guy. That's what I felt. He went from a high-pressured um, yeah. situation in the Dodgers land, and he just went for the paycheck. But now you actually see with three years of consistency with uneasy pressure, is there a championship team there? Is there ever a championship team in any team in the beginning of the season, there's always a chance, right? But exactly, I don't, and that was their whole thing. Yeah, and I don't think yeah, they should yeah. discredit that. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Okay, uh, and this is uh, my final question, and I'll let Andrew because he wants to talk about uh, managers. But uh, are you for or against the designated hitter in the National League? <laughs> so I'm super super old school. I love what I love pitchers in lineups uh mostly because i think it's a it's a part of the chess game uh that that matters right that you know we took a lot of responsibility away from don mattingly when we added that dh right all he had to do was really manage a bullpen um and strategically now it's 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 changed a lot to have the dh that being said it gosh it made baseball a lot more uh consistently competitive it's certainly from watching a team that absolutely benefited from having the dh because they could have aguiar and cooper in the lineup every day uh it it changed a lot about national league baseball and i actually i do maybe think for the better i'm not i know it's inevitable at some point so i sort of think that next year they might as well just throw in the dh in the national league and and go forward because why go back to go forward again um You know, and I'm certainly going to miss the having to work your way through a game knowing, hey, that nine spot's coming up. It certainly helps a pitcher. Uh, You know, it it changes approach for managers, for hitters, for all of it. Um, But if we're trying to make the most entertaining game possible, watching a guy who hits, you know, 040 is not the right thing to bring in new fans. Let's just be honest. You don't have to wait 20 years to see Bartolo Colon hit a home run. 
So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'll miss <laughs> it. Trust me. I mean, that was right. one of the, that was one of my favorite baseball memories. I weirdly was watching that game live on MLB Network as it happened, and was just losing my mind. But you know, we'll do, we'll have to memorialize those moments, uh, right? Uh, you know, you know, just in the back of our minds, and tell tell our kids, our grandkids. Yeah, you know, they used to have the pitcher hitting. It was crazy. Those guys. Uh, but you know, someday we'll be able to tell those stories. All right, all right, Andrew. Uh, uh, do you have any questions? Uh, I've been taking over for too long here. Um, I guess. Uh, well, two questions really. The first one is kind of uh, bouncing off what uh, Francisco was talking about. Is I well, I first I agree with you. I think uh, I I was dead set on no DH in the National League, but I've just kind of come to accept it after this year. Right. Um, but then my second thing is I was dead set going into the season about uh, the whole thing with starting extra innings with a runner on base hmm. and having seen it happen this year, I'm actually a fan. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me a lot of, and this is, it would either have to be this way or no way at all. It kind of reminds me of how in the NHL they have the quick three-on-three, five-minute overtime, right. followed by a shootout. Uh, you know, because you don't want to be doing five overtimes just for a right. quote-unquote meaningless regular season game. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we all know and love, baseball does not end in ties. Exactly. So what are your thoughts on that? I actually am a bit of a fan of keeping it for the regular season. Um, I think that over the span of 162 games, you're only playing so many extra inning games. And so for the folks who worry about the competitive balance aspect of that they're like oh it could shift a game this way or the other first of all both teams get their chance Mm -hmm. um it does make it a little closer to to feeling like those college overtime rules which i think we all kind of love like let's be honest it's the most entertaining overtime college football overtime is by far the most entertaining overtime uh and so to make extra innings sort of feel that way where no matter what happens you're starting with the rally right like even if the other team scores three runs in the top half of the 10th inning you kind of feel like you have a shot for whatever reason, even though you shouldn't. It doesn't really change that much. You're not in that much of an advantage, but starting with a guy on second and the guy having to go out of the stretch, it, it's fun. Um, it's high leverage, and I think as long as you're not doing it in the playoffs where you're trying to make sure that the game is as, as, uh, as consistent as possible, I don't mind You know, for the seven or eight times you go into extra innings in a given season, if that much if it's done that way and it it creates something that's really entertaining for the fans. Um, And to be honest with you, I also think, and this is going to sound nuts and I'm, it's going to sound crazy from a guy who just called himself a traditionalist, but I think that uh, once a month they should do Sunday double or Saturday double headers that are seven innings. Um, I just think selling, selling a clean ticket uh, to both games is just the ultimate, like bringing kids back into baseball. You get bang for your buck. You know, you're getting 14 innings instead of nine. You're getting a bunch of different players. You're getting the excitement of the end of games twice. And if you do it one time a month, 
So it's like five Saturday doubleheaders. You're eliminating 10 total innings of baseball. Is that really the end of the world for the, for the record books? <laughs> you know, is that, is that the end of the world for the stat books at the end of the day? So I actually think that that would be something just monetarily. Like, I kind of loved the seven-inning doubleheaders. And I know it, it totally changed the game. Watching Marlins games, it's half the reason they made the playoffs was because they just figured out how to win those doubleheaders. Right. Um, and, they, and they had the ability to. So it does change the game. But if every team did it, you know, one Saturday a month, and, and what you could do is you could always make it a division game. So that's how you could know, like, you, you know what I mean? You, that's how you could know that everybody's evened it out properly schedule-wise. Right. Because it's always in division. I think it would be, I think it's something worth looking at. Some of these new rules were not that bad. Okay. And then my other question mm-hmm. is, and I had mentioned this to you before, and I really want to get to it. Tony LaRusso. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, Francisco earlier in the show ruined my punchline, which I hate him for. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say that LaRusso seems to be up Shit's Creek right now. Hey, I love it. <laughs> it was still a great punchline. All right, thank you. Um, now, I mean, I'll, I'll let you do most of the talking since you're the guest, but... What the hell are the White Sox thinking? They knew about this and they still hired him? Yeah. And I, um, I, I, I'll go ahead. Sorry about that. And then, uh, like, as I told Francisco, I don't really have much sympathy for people who have DUIs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not like no one knows what they are and how to avoid them. But right. then also the whole thing of... Uh, I'm a Hall of Famer, showing the rings, like, what a jerk. <laughs> no, you know what? You could just repeat, the clip that what a jerk and just keep replaying it for about 10 minutes. And that's how, that could just be my response. I, this guy, Tony LaRusso, well, so first of all, it was a horrible hire before any of this, you know, shit, S-C-H-I-T-T. <laughs> I mean, this, this is really a a mess, and and Larusa is just uh, I don't understand why when you have a young, vibrant, mostly black and Hispanic team, why you would hire Tony Larusa to be the manager of that group of guys, a fifty-year age gap between him and most of his players. Okay, so he's literally 200% of their age for a lot of their players. Live their life three times and you're Tony LaRusso's age. Okay? He's the same guy who a decade ago was in Arizona uh, promoting some kind of racist laws uh, for Sheriff Joe. Like, there's some not great stuff in the background of Tony LaRusso to begin with including a previous DUI. Let the man just sit back and be a baseball Hall of Famer and let us all forget about some of the negative stuff. And don't get me wrong, LaRusso was the manager of some of my favorite teams. I grew up rooting hard for Big Mac. I was a diehard Mark McGuire guy. I, and I loved the bat He was there in, in Oakland, too. And, I mean, obviously that was before my time. But LaRusso is a Hall of Famer for a reason. But now is not the time to bring him back. It's the strangest pairing to try to pair Tim Anderson with Tony LaRusso, and then you're going to undermine, not even undermine, 
but you're Jerry Reinsdorf, who is just doing your buddy a favor, right? You're you're mm. you're undermining your general manager. You're you're going over his head. Not going over his head. You are over his head, but you're making a decision without him even being a factor. You're hiring Tony Larusa. You we come to find out knew that the night before you hired him, he had a DUI the night before. Like it's not even not even a few weeks removed. The night before he has a DUI. And and how is that person who who can't relate to his players to begin with, who now has gotten hired not really based off the present day merit, but based off of old time merit from before half these kids were born, supposed to be in a position to have any sort of real authority with his players? I mean, seriously, like he looks like a joke. And now all these guys who love celebrating, who love the passion of the game, are going to be told to rein it in by old school Tony Larusa, who now has no authority because he's they lied about or not lied, but they're not punishing him for having a DUI the night before he's hired. How are any of these players supposed to deal with any sort of punishment from him? It's just all around a complete mess, and the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf of all people is the guy making this call after uh, watching the last dance earlier this summer is yep. just, it's like chef's it's a chef's kiss. It's perfect. <laughs> it, it couldn't, yeah. it couldn't be better. Yeah, he's throwing two franchises into the ground. Uh, and I just want to, I want to ask on that just to add on, because there's always that cronyism in baseball, but there's always every sport is that if you have one minor bit of success, they'll take away that one ring, that multiple rings that you have, and they'll forget about all the bad seasons. Not that Tony LaRusso really ever had no. bad seasons, but no, it's the equivalent man. Yeah, it's the equivalent of like Joe Torre. And I love Joe. Joe, I, I want to put Joe to pasture around like 2005, to be honest with you. Right. Really, right. I want to do in 2003. Really, I want to do in 2004. But yeah. if Joe came back today, and Joe's old, but Joe, at, I think Joe's like 78. But if Joe came He's back today. He's not that much older than Tony LaRusso. No, but after he comes back, I think there's that kind of that that free pass, that whole you paid your dues and we're going to trust you more because part of it I feel is that there is – it's not like football where there's that young upstart um, head coach that could possibly be a former candidate. There's not sure Matt Nagy's, and he's the first one to get this where everybody was running on that. You know, there's the guys who are suppressed like um, Eric Bieniemy and then everybody else, Mm -hmm. or the the Mike Zimmers who had to pay their dues. In baseball, you never see it. In baseball, right. you see a lot of recidivism. Like, Buck Showalter, all respect to him. Buck Showalter's just everywhere, right? He's through the right. decade. Well, I'm 31. My God, I can remember through every decade of baseball that I've been a fan since 1995. Um, right. And you get that recidivism. And I think it's because you can't look at a, 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 as a bench coach, you're like, you. Or a pitching coach, you're like, yeah, because it's not as if anybody can go and be like, oh, hey, Charles, you know, remember these great Yankee people left. Like, man, he was just waiting around, and was, he was supposed to be the heir apparent. They didn't want him mm-hmm. in New York. It was pretty clear cut. The Steinbrenner along. So he went to follow him in the Dodgers, and it goes from there. So that's when he's tagging along. So look at Dusty Baker. Dusty at 78, sure. too, is just the other example. So I think in baseball, it's really that there's no such thing as a sexy hire. There's no such thing as an offensive genius, defensive genius that you might get yeah. in, in football or you might get in basketball. And, and baseball is really like three, what? Uh, Tony's got three rings, I think. You know what? You know what the shame of it is? You know who the guy should have been that was the sexy hire because what 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 I would define as a sexy hire in modern baseball is simply young enough to relate to his players and bilingual. And for that matter, when you say bilingual, a lot of the time that includes a general cultural understanding in terms of bicultural. 
Uh, it was Carlos Beltran. Oh, wow. It was. And you, you, you then everything my went down with him. That. No, I get it. No, but he, but, but despite what ultimately ended up coming to be, despite what we ultimately found out was going on with Beltran and Cora and, 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 and that whole Astros group, the irony is, really, Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, that's the mold you should be following, right? Guys who, ironically, played during the steroid era and toward the tail end of it. So they're old enough to appreciate the game, young enough to relate to their players. Not 75, but 45. And, you know, just a few years out of the game in that way, look at David Ross, but also bilingual, bicultural, because you want to be able to relate to everybody on your team. That's your job as a manager. You, you have to be the ultimate people person in baseball, because like we just mentioned, what is there really left to manage? I mean, we just watched a World Series where analytics managed the race. Kevin Cash certainly didn't, right? So, like, there's, there's only so many human decisions left to be made. So what it's really more about is being able to coach guys through slumps, being able to handle guys in terms of platooning playing time because there's so much platooning now and then being able to relate to your players and make sure that the entire team is getting along well it's where Don Mattingly's godsend is Miguel Rojas who is a a bilingual mensch of a human being right and and really ultimately when Miguel Rojas retires he'd be like I, I would it would be a dream come true if Miguel Rojas was ultimately a Marlins manager because as a bilingual guy that relates to every single player in his clubhouse, that's all you can ask for at this point in a manager. It's no longer necessarily about the strategy. It really isn't. And, it, and when it used to be, it's why you saw so many former catchers becoming managers. Because those are the only guys where, like you just said, it's like hiring an offensive coordinator. You know with that catcher already that he gets the little things of the game. Because he has to. Because he's the one calling pitches and approaching the game from that perspective. So it's why you so often, and you can go back to Joe Torre as an example, right? You can go back to Joe Girardi as an example. All these guys that, that have been former catchers that Mike Matheny, David Ross, you know, all these guys now too um, that, you know, were catchers from the beginning. So, yeah, okay. it's, uh, just, it's, a, it's a strange time in baseball, gentlemen. And I just want to touch on that real quickly, and I'll leave it at best. What I've noticed is the sexy hires tend to be who? Guys who have media experience. Aaron yeah, Boone, absolutely. no coaching whatsoever, but he's first of all, David Ross was doing some stuff. So yeah. it, it's kind of like that hard transition because just because you're a media guy doesn't mean you're, you can be charming, but doesn't mean you can lead these young men or adult men that come into absolutely. it. But I think, but it's like, we're not going to see McGuire. McGuire was bench coach for the Marlins, right? You know, he was, uh, he was coming as the hitting coach, right? You're not going to see him get the opportunity yeah. partially because of the name, but I don't get that appeal of it because, Ross and Boone were both kind of fresh out of the game for, you know, Ross would retire for one year. Boone was retired for about a good four and then bam, automatic job. What's next? A-Rod? Because oh, if you're looking God, at personality, if you're, but it, <laughs> hear me out. Oh, kill me. The way you look at the pattern, what you just said, bilingual gets people, gets I know. paydays. Oh, what do, what do you guys want? He's, he, he's a sociopath. He's not. He doesn't <laughs> anybody. He has no emotion. That guy, I mean, don't uh, even... We're going to talk about him like AJ, 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 AJ
No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, my, my closing thought is like, you don't have to be the most personable person, advertisable to Fox News, or no, I'm sorry, Fox Sports and ESPN to be hired sure. as a manager. Um, mm-hmm. And if you notice, those media guys are not um, bilingual, or they don't have an accent yeah. because of water. And water Perez, um, mm. when he used to do baseball tonight, I found him the most interesting besides Crosby. Oh, he was the best. He was so the best. that kind of, maybe there's an agenda. I don't know. That's just me. Just Yeah, things. I mean... Yeah, there's there's constantly agendas throughout sports, obviously, and it's not just about appeasing. Oftentimes, you know, the media it's obviously appeasing your owner as well, um, and that that's a more complicated conversation. But you know, the one thing I was just going to close on, and the thing that I was going to say is, I probably should not have come on your podcast and called Alex Rodriguez a sociopath. Uh, I probably <laughs> probably I, should not have done that if I want to have a future in this business. Uh, but here I, we are. I say a lot worse. That, that would be our big break if Alex Rodriguez was listening to this. So I guess it, I guess it would, but uh, maybe maybe not quite sociopath. Maybe that's a little far. I can but edit do that I out think of the podcast. That maybe no no no. Please please leave it. No no no. I think it's important that people understand. My my emotional and visceral reaction to you bringing up Alex Rodriguez as a possible <laughs> managerial candidate, uh, but but I also think that I should probably rephrase it at a future date. So sometime, uh, it's good that I got this out now, so that the next time someone asks me, I'm not <laughs> pulling that one out. But guys, uh, I, I do appreciate you guys having me on. I do have to get going, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I really, really appreciate the the time and the conversation. You guys are awesome, and I'd love to come back on if you would have me. Thank We'd you, love to have you. Thank you. Uh, for those uh, at Jeremy Tache on Twitter at Swings and Mishes, also on Twitter, check out their podcast. If you love the Marlins, if you love baseball, go and listen to them. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, hopefully, Absolutely. we'll talk to you some other time. Yeah, thank, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, guys. So, all right, wow. Thank you, Andrew, for getting him on the show. That was fun. It's actually probably the most insightful baseball that we have, besides Charles just screaming F, F the Astros, F the Astros, F the Astros. <laughs> I actually, I was, I was developed. I was in. Not that I don't love you guys, but I have my biasness every time we talk. So now I'm like, hey, let's go from there. And uh, we also do realize that you know Alex Rodriguez is a psychopath. I was about I if, say it. I, I wish we had an hour with him because I was about to say, I mean, this Alex Rodriguez is definitely not a player's person anymore. He is definitely not, especially with the comments that he made about the players, you know, sucking it up and going to play and taking pay cuts and all that stuff. No way is he a player's person. He he tried to buy the Mets. He 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 was not uh, he is definitely not personable to the players. Him as a manager, oh my god, it would be great. It'd be fun to see. It'd be fun to see all the all the insanity that would happen, just the fights and stuff like that. But man, <laughs> I love Freddie's uh, suggestions here. Just say you met Bender Rodriguez from Futuro <laughs> or, or Aaron Rodgers. Uh, who's... I, I think Bender Rodriguez has more of a soul. Bender Rodriguez. I love that episode. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's uh, let's do better know minor league team. I can get this one down quick, and I have a nice segue for I can get knock two birds with one stone. Um, unfortunately, it looks like MLB is going with their plan to gut, especially the New York Penn League. Um, so I'm gonna highlight these teams while uh, while I can. So the Batavia Muck Dogs is the team I'm highlighting today. They play out in Batavia, New York. This team. 
uh, was established in uh, no I'm not gonna donate to Wikipedia uh, this team was established in 1939 this is how far back some of these franchises go which is sad to see that uh, we're just we're just cutting them off they're not even gonna have major league affiliations or they're gonna have to fight to try and find some for teams that probably want an extra affiliate or not uh, so they've got several names, but their current name is the Muck Dogs. Uh, they were in the New York Penn League, was what, which was a short A league. Uh, the they're currently the affiliate of the Miami Marlins, is why I know them pretty well uh, since 2013. But of course, affiliations with the the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Indians, the Mets, the uh, the Pirates. Uh, they've got four championships. They're last in 2008. As far as notable alumni rosters, uh, Cito Gaston, who was the manager of the Blue Jays when they won their back-to-back -back World Series in 92 and 93. Matt Carpenter, uh, Doc Ellis, uh, pitcher for the Pirates in the 70s. Uh, when they, uh, I think he got one or maybe even two of their championships in 71 and 79. Uh, our, our, our favorite, Joe Kelly. Was a muck dog. J.A. Okay, uh, Happ, who uh, Charles called trash a few episodes ago. We are letting him go. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm hoping for John Lester. Guys, sometimes you just know. You're going to figure out what kind of 38-year-old you want to just die on your on your rotation. John Lester is the guy I want to die on my rotation. Be my fifth or fourth guy. Have one good game. That's it. I don't want J.A. Happ. No. There'll be people who do want him. Go ahead. Have my sloppy seconds. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, and because they used to be affiliated with the Phillies, we see a lot of Phillies here. Ryan Howard, uh, Lance Lynn, uh, Chase Utley, Ned Yost played for them when he was young. Uh, Ricky Williams. Yes, that Ricky Williams. When he was, uh, really? he was drafted by the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah. This is the second time we've mentioned Ricky Williams on a minor league baseball team. Huh. So, uh, that Ricky Williams. Yes. And uh, also, uh, so that's a former NFL player and a former NHL player, Murray Oliver, was a Batavia Muck Dog. They play at Dwyer Stadium in Batavia, New York. And this transitions into player remember forget, and that player we're remembering is Murray Oliver. So there's the transition there, guys. Yes, I worked really hard on this. Okay. <laughs> So Murray Oliver, uh, it just it just it just flowed so naturally. There he is with the Boston Bruins. Uh, played in the NHL. He was a center. Uh, originally played for the Detroit Red Wings, then the Bruins, then the Maple Leafs, and then ended his career with the Minnesota North Stars. Played about 274 games. Uh, no, actually, 1,127 games. 274 goals, 454 assists, 728 points in 18 seasons uh, here and there for the National Hockey League. Uh, unfortunately, he died in 2014 at the age of 77. Made two All-Star teams. And in 1983, he coached the Minnesota North Stars for 37 games. And he lost in the playoffs and... He had a very, very short stint in minor league baseball, eight games only. Uh, they they were touting him as like this great athlete, like one of the most athletic players they'd ever seen. And he went out and played baseball, and then he he very much sucked 
hard at baseball, but didn't suck hard at hockey. So at least he had a backup plan there. So let's let's do a let's haul, y'all. Let's let's stick with the the the, the Canadian goodness right here. We're we're gonna do the uh, Steve Nash. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Steve Nash. Uh, NBA uh, uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2018 point guard, of course, out of Santa Clara, drafted in 1996, legendary draft class, 15th overall in the first round, played for the Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns, and the Los Angeles Lakers. And what, much like with Ray Allen, what, what more can we say about Steve Nash? Five-time assist champion, two-time MVP, eight-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA. He was born in South Africa to British parents and moved to Canada, so he's got dual citizenship in, in the UK and in Canada. Played soccer and hockey when he was growing up, and then like at the age of 12, he's like, I feel like playing basketball, and then just became super amazing at it. Uh, Soon to possibly be coach of the year with the Nets. Well, yeah, now he's the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He's going to have a nice and healthy Kevin Durant with him. He is the senior advisor of the of Team Canada's basketball team. He is the godfather of RJ Barrett. So Really? Yeah. Yeah. And well, apparently he dealt a dated Nelly Furtado. Promiscu- now I got the song in my head. Damn it, I won't sing the uh, <laughs> Promiscuous in 2003. But I just want you all to know that it's there and it was a banger, okay? <laughs> you guys care about I'm Like a Bird? I like the whole... Con- I, I, beautiful, mind you. But two, it's just, you know, Canadian singers, what do we got? Snow? You know, we need something more. We need diversity up in here. <laughs> so yeah, Godfather to R.J. Barrett. And... Um... You know, Canada only has one road, so all Canadians know each other. Um, so there you go. All right. So that's that's Steve Nash. There's, there's a lot more we can say about him, but gosh darn it, man. Uh, this is the uh, one guy that I, I wish he had won a ring when he was playing. Well, one accolade on him that's not addressed. He kept and made Mike D'Antoni relevant. Because if it wasn't for Steve Nash and Amari in their time in Phoenix, I don't think he would uh, have that longevity as a coach the way he did in um, L.A. And you saw how it really didn't work because he didn't have the right pieces. And then the way he did Houston, Houston, you know, I don't want to say James Harden and Steve Nash because they had very different appeals because, you know, shooter versus distributor and shooter. But that's something big there. It's like saying how Jerry Sloan was known for um, Malone and Stockton. Imagine, yeah, and we saw what happened when Jerry Sloan didn't have those guys. You just had average teams building into it. So did the player make the team, or did the coach make the team? And the Steve Nash debate for those Phoenix Suns is it was mm-hmm. the player, not the coach. Right. Yeah. It, gosh, what was it? Two thousand seven, or one of those Phoenix Suns teams were like, if they had just gotten deep into the playoffs, if they had uh, had not lost to, I think it was like the Lakers, one of those seasons. Um, I think it was 2006. I don't know, or, or against or the Spurs, or against the Mavericks, whichever one, whichever team they faced off against, they probably, I mean, the Heat probably don't even win a championship in 2006. Um, 
I don't even know if they. Uh, it'd be that'd be that would have been an interesting matchup. See them against that Suns team. Um. Anyways, Steve Nash. There we go. Okay. You go, girl. We're gonna keep to, uh, I guess, hockey in some sense. I've got Catherine Tappen. You guys don't know who she is. Uh, I can't say that I do. Okay, so I'm sure if you've watched NBCSN, she's the host of uh, she's the hostess on uh, a lot of uh, their their NHL um, uh, pre and post game shows and and, and uh, intermission reports. So Catherine Tappen, she works for NBC Sports Network. She went to Rutgers. Uh, she's from New Jersey. Uh, four-time academic All-American. She got a scholarship to Rutgers for cross-country and track. And so she um, she uh, went to school for journalism. And then she she moved her way on uh, on up from local television, then uh, went over to Nesson, and then finally reached the NHL Network. And then from there, naturally jumped on over to NBC in 2014. She won a Woman of Inspiration Award in 2014. And in 2006... Won uh, Associated uh, Press Press Award. So uh, there you go. Good honor, Catherine Tappen. You go, so, girl. She, I mean, she's been. I mean, she's been on and she's just NHL. I think she worked on the NHL Network in 2011. Uh, yeah, something. I think it's right here. Um, so I guess for like the almost the past decade, I guess we can associate her with hockey. I'm sure she did stuff with uh, the Bruins when she was on Nesson as well so um just uh she's moved on up she's she's there on uh she's one of the the great the bright spots of nbc sports network's coverage of hockey i i me and andrew have a lot of criticism about nbc sports network's coverage of hockey but she's not one of them uh i can tell you that much myself okay Okay, we can all. Mike Milbury is a is an eternal goon. Okay, and the fact that Catherine Tappan has had to deal with him, <laughs> his his asinine comments, uh, is in and of itself commendable. Because I would have, I'm surprised nobody has strangled him on the air. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, the real MVP, guys. We we have to pay our respects. All right. It's Alex Trebek. Yes. And we're, we're I guess the Can- the Canadian theme continues. All right. Team Canada, really. That's what this episode is about. Yeah. So Alex Trebek unfortunately passed away to pancreatic cancer. Um, Andrew, can you uh, lead the charge on what we think about cancer? Fuck cancer. There we go. Yeah. He's 80 years old, and it, you know, it, it's always funny seeing, uh, I guess we can all have our, our Jeopardy experiences, and um, I'm sure all of us have seen Jeopardy in some way, shape, or form. It's a staple of, for a lot of people, millions of people, a staple of their everyday coming home from work. Uh, it's always playing um was it after the like the six o'clock news you know between seven and seven thirty or seven and eight you know you get you got jeopardy and then you've got uh wheel of fortune you got those two back to back 
And so Alex Trebek has been a constant. And it's, man, it is it's in a year where a lot of things have gone horribly wrong. And we've lost so many people, man. This is this is uh, it's it's going to be weird having a world without Alex Trebek in it. Um, I I had this year sucks. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, personal reasons. Saturday last Saturday was pretty good for me, but it's, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people can agree with me. But um, this one. This one was this one's a really bad one. So, um, and it it came so quickly after uh, such a jubilant moment for some of us. It it really kind of took the wind out of the sails, if as it were. Uh, you know, we we all hoped that we we knew this was coming. Let's be honest. Um, I, I hate to sound negative, but uh, right. pancreatic cancer is not an easy one to uh, to come back from. Let alone that it was in stage four. Um, you know, we we admired how uplifting and how positive he was about his prognosis, um, but that's kind of in the back of our heads everyone kind of knew that uh, he wouldn't be able to get past this one but no, nonetheless it still hurts a lot yeah um, I guess in the world of sports you know we get and it's always fun to see um, on Twitter whenever they Jeopardy had a sports question because Jeopardy of course uh, reaches far and wide for all of their trivia. Um, so y- you'll see them mention, you know, like us, obscure minor league teams that nobody else would even care about. But uh, those teams get their their fifteen minutes of fame whenever Jeopardy mentions them or mentions a, a sports team or a player or what have you. And we all we always get the laugh. Whenever uh, you have those 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 big brain people up there that have absolutely no idea uh, who, who any of these subjects with regards to sports, you know, oh, what 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 fish based baseball team uh, plays in Miami or was it this 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 fish based baseball team plays at in Miami? What is the Miami Dolphins? <laughs> You know, you get that, uh, and and we we tweet about it and we laugh. <laughs> Look at all these nerds; they can't even talk about sports. Even though I just watched uh, made based anime a few days ago. Um, we don't yeah. judge Francisco. Oh, we don't judge. Remember, I spawn at the Palm Beach County Library, so uh, every every few years. So. Alex Trebek is a staple of life, and it's gonna suck. I don't even know. I, I'm sure they're gonna get a new host for the show or something like that. No, but... you cancel it, man. Like it, it's hard. So, <sighs> not to attack on Alex Trebek. Two things. One, 
I have a non-Jeopardy moment that made me love Alex Trebek, and it's not SNL. It's the episode of The Golden Girls with Dorothy tries to... Uh, Charles loves Golden Girls, by the way. When Dorothy tries to try out for Jeopardy, and she just has a dream where it's Blanche and Rose and everything like that. And I think all four of them are in there, and he was just hysterical coming into it, um, if memory serves me correctly. Mm. Yes. But the other thing about it was... Um, Anybody who watches the SNL skits, they know about the Sean Connery, Alex Trebek. Who we've that also they created. lost as well. We did. And I'm not going to try to be insensitive with it, but there's a way of how I would explain to it. Um, the memes are hysterical. Go listen to it. Go from there. But this is what I would tell you. You know, when Sean Connery went, you mourn him. You miss him out for a lot of stuff coming into it. Um, but there's you, you can make a contention of who is the best James Bond. I, I do like Daniel Craig. I'm not going to lie. But I love me some Sean Connery. Him and I share the same birthday. So... Now the August 25th patrol is just left to me, Tim Burton, and Elvis Costello. Damn it. Gene Simmons, okay, that's fine, you know, aside from the hard drugs. But, you know, you can make the contentions of there should be other um, bonds or there's better bonds or bonds that fit in. I can't do it, man. I can't see somebody else hosting Trebek the same way of how uh, Drew Carey does The Price is Right. It's not the same. Plus, I also kind of don't like Drew Carey. It's just me. Ever since he lost the weight, it's just no it kind of looks like a lunchbox of a body now oh i'm not about God. this but uh I, I can't see it just cancel it i i don't need to feel smart at the gym anymore get rid of it it's done but that's my thoughts on alex i can't say they should replace it what do you guys say on that i mean i get where you're coming from um but i would add that trebek was not the first host of jeopardy either mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be tough to replace him. I think, I think if anyone replaces him, I know the popular pick is, uh, Ken Jennings. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. That's, look, even, you have all these, I I mean, you have examples in other legendary shows, of course, uh, Johnny Carson with the Tonight Show. If they were able to replace him, um, they they can move forward, and you can have a different dynamic. So um, it's just we have to be willing to change and willing to accept change. And well, sometimes change comes whether we like it or not. Yeah, we'll see. But you know, uh, since. Uh... Charles brought up a favorite memory of his. I'll do one, and then um, Francisco, if you want to do one, and then I'll mention... You can mention yours, and then we have to move on to our our midway segment. Okay. Um, So growing up in Orlando, I went to Disney uh, a not insignificant number of times. Uh, My favorite part being Epcot. Hmm. And the place that I saw him the most quote unquote uh, was on the uh, Universe of Energy ride and I don't know that's you know unfortunately the ride is no longer unfortunately which saddened me deeply Um, it was a 40 minute dark ride as they call them which is uh, you just kind of sit in a car and go along lazily it's a nice way to get out of the summer or any heat for that matter. Um, but it was just fun. And 
you know, that was kind of the most experience I had with him because I didn't really watch the show that much. Although I do know that I followed along pretty well with the Ken Jennings saga. Um, and then before we go, uh, probably one of the uh, one of the last more notable things that that uh, Trebek did in his lifetime was he announced the third overall pick in the two in the twenty twenty NHL draft. Yep. Um, You're the big hockey fan, right? He's Canadian. Oh yeah, yes. It speaks for itself, right? Yes. Um, and he he announces for Ottawa, correct? Yep. So I believe he's a an an Ottawa fan. He's from so, Sudbury, so yeah. And uh, it, it's it's nice that he's an Ottawa fan. He's not a Leafs fan, right? <laughs> the very in vogue thing to do is to be a Leafs or a Canadians fan. Aside from uh, Destiny 2 and... Uh, the new expansion for Age of Wonders Planetfall. Thank mm-hmm. you for, uh, for helping us sell out. We appreciate you. <laughs> a word from our non-sponsors, people, places, things, concepts, anything that we've been enjoying over the last week. Um, I don't know who, if... Charles, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah, I could start. And okay. I'll tell you now, I'm kind of cheating because I'm going to use two because it's compared to today. So you know, call it Jeremy's because you know he's an unofficial goof. You know now that he sold out and joined us, and made us <laughs> contribute. So your boy has had a long epic day. I had a I was I've been up since like six. I had a two hour court hearing um, that was just all twists and turns without going into details of my case. So nice little unexpected surprises. So I was just kind of exhausted, but there was a couple things I took notice of. One. Today's payday, boys. For me, I get paid every Wednesday. I was like, oh, this is great. I get to pay bills and hate my life. Um, but, you know, because tomorrow's uh, Veterans Day, so the banks pay me. It's great. So I was like, all right, you know, I got to treat myself for being successful. So, and we've mentioned it before, but it's Tuesdays. And what does Tuesdays usually comport to? Tacos, baby. And with oh, the love tacos. Chuff loves tacos. Hard tacos, soft tacos, burritos. I have taco you know, Bell <laughs> they count. It counts. It, if it's got taco in the name, it's taco on the game, baby. So I didn't want to go to my usual you know, place. So I was like, okay, let's uh, switch up a little bit. Instead, I went to Moe's for their Taco Tuesday. Oh. And for six forty eight you get two tacos, you get their you get a, you get a drink and you get their nice little chips. And I got a beef and I got a chicken and it was a well deserved treat because normally my lunch was probably gonna be my you know, roast beef and cheese sandwich because part of the way of living cheap is acting like you're broke and that usually comes into lunch. If I if I can control it, I try to make it seem like I don't have money in the account so I don't eat out all the time, boys. That's like my mentality, that's what leads me to succeed and pay off any loans, car payments, whatever you have in this world. Um it was delicious. I loved it. It hit the spot. There, there, the amount of sour cream I feel <laughs> that you put in a soft taco is so indicative of what kind of thing that you get. Because sometimes it's too runny. Sometimes it's just right. Mm-hmm. But, man, I was feeling it. I've sponsored Moe's before. I'm sponsoring Moe's again because I think that's the first time I've had their tacos. Normally I'm a burrito guy. Normally I'm a burrito guy. Because my thought process with burritos, folks, goes as this. Why do I have to pay for two when I can get the big one? Let me get the big one, but I want them tacos. Taco Tuesday, let's let's do it right. So Moe's, 
Jeremy is not sponsored. That's what we call it. Promo code Tuesdays <laughs> to make it cool. Be like C U E Z D A Z E, and then the component to it, guys. I had a freaking two-hour hearing today. Most of my domestic violence hearings go about forty-five minutes to an hour, but there's a lot of technological issues and it's tax information. It was something that was really fifty-fifty at its heart of hearts. I didn't really have anything to kind of work with, but you know, you ha- you can make chicken poop out of ch- or chicken salad, chicken poop, as Kobe says. But I was tired at the end of the day, so I went to Wawa's. I went to Wawa's and I oh, had an energy drink called a shock. Um, I don't know if it's a house sponsored bit of Wawa's or whatever the hell, like racetrack has left hook. But you know what? It felt like good, tasty, clean energy. I oh, was what's awake. What's it called? A shock. A hyphen S O C. A shock. You know, uh, it's it's like how all the uh, the white guys that are named Adam call themselves A bomb. Just think of it like that. No offense to guys named Adam who call themselves A bomb. Does it have a know. K or is it like just a C? I think it's just a C. Okay, here it is. A shock. A shock makes a smart energy. Here we go. Oh, I don't know if that's Wawa's or Racetrack, or not Racetrack, but Wawa's or um, or just their own independent brand, because there's so many energy drinks it out It stands there. for usually... Adrenaline Shock. Well, that's fancy. Normally, I just kind of um, just take a caffeine pill, but I didn't have any on me. And plus, I kind of want the taste of it, because my caffeine pills are generally like, you know, 200 milligrams by breaking that. But this one, a Cyberry or a Kyberry or whatever the hell you call it, I liked it. It was tasty. I didn't crash. My eyes still felt a little heavily hooded, but I was able to survive. I'll have some of it tomorrow. So thank you, Wawa's A-Shock, for keeping me awake after a weird day. Thank you, Moe's being Jeremy sponsored, because right now he's te- he's like, hey, guys, do this. I'm like, great. Promo code for um, A-Shock. Um, A-Bomb. There you go. A-Bomb. Okay. All right. So the the Charles. All right. So Freddie says he's sitting at Seven Eleven. So then it's a shock, not Wawa's. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess I'll do mine. So guys, um, uh, over the past week, just uh, doing stuff for the show and everything like that, and, and I designed a new logo for us, uh, nice and slick, fancy. Looks like looks like a, a modern logo, not not a. Not a templated thing from before. This is I, I I sat there and designed it, and I have to give a freaking non-sponsor to freaking Adobe Photoshop. Uh, even Adobe in general, Adobe Suite, whatever you want to call it, man. I'm gonna just put Adobe Suite because it's it's everything. It's Illustrator. It's freaking uh, Photoshop. Or freaking uh, the it's entire thing. Yeah, the it's entire thing, man. It, it is. If you are creating media, this is it. This is the end-all, be-all. This is what you use. This is what you pay for. This is what you pirate if you can't pay for it. You know? Like, this is the gold standard for creating anything and everything visually or sound. It is... Man, the the work that these people do, and I've been using, I mean, I've studied this. I, I've been using versions of, of their software since, heck, since I was a teenager when I, I had Adobe Photoshop 7. I got, I don't know where my mom or my dad, they found a disc or something for it, started on my computer, and I just started messing around. It's like, this is way better than Microsoft Paint. Um, and 
experimenting here and there myself. And then I decided, hey, maybe I want to do this in school. And then I learned in college and stuff like that. And I didn't want to do that for my career. And then I made the stupid decision to be a lawyer. Um, yeah. But I still do this on the side. I still have fun with this whenever I just... Um, I'm, you know what? I'm tired of Rocket League. I'm just to sit down and mess around with visuals. And I've been wanting to change our logo for the longest time. And finally designed something new. I got the stamp of approval from Andrew and Charles. And here's the new logo, our new color scheme. And we're, we're going to move forward with it starting next week. And to the people of Adobe, thank you. Thank you for what you do. I... It's been invaluable. It, it really has. If you if you want to learn, you just you get this, man. This is this is it. This is all you need. InDesign, Illustrator, Premiere Pro, uh, and you need get the right computer for this, man. Just get something that that can work, all right? Um, because once you start, and of course you can get the tablets and stuff like that, and people can make freaking just art, just straight art from all of this adobe man uh promo code um creativity okay nice um mine aren't sponsor it's it's pretty quick it is tootsie pops <laughs> oh yeah. um you know i have uh lollipops quite a bit to kind of satiate my hunger um, and I've mostly been relying recently on uh, blow pops which I love blow pops they're awesome uh, but sometimes you know you just kind of get tired of the the flavor you know the the, uh, the bubble gum aspect to it so where do you go when you need? Where do I go when I need my lollipop fix and I I'm a little bit tired of blow pops? I go with tootsie pops. Yes. They're yummy. They're delicious. Uh, they're cherry and they're uh, they're cherry and they're grape are my personal favorites. Oranges and half bad. And yeah, that's not that's really all I have to say and. If I remember correctly, I think it takes 630-something uh, licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, uh, but you can find that information online. Mm. Kinky. Indeed. Uh. <laughs> uh, promo code uh, Counting Owl. Mm-hmm. Owl. And now to our actual sponsors. If Alex Rodriguez, if if what Jeremy says ever came true, if Alex Rodriguez listened to the show and is like, look at these, look at these pieces of crap talking about me being a sociopath. Oh man, would that be a boon for us? Yes, it would. <laughs> oh man, we could talk about how he is not a true Yankee after all oh, these years. You remember the whole stepchild thing I was equating to Manningly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It goes a day around like we have to tolerate you, <laughs> but you're not even half brother. Right. I mean, you was there for a long time. I have to have that eternal debate. Join us on our new social media platform, the Sports Goose Only Fans, to hear us go further. Um, <laughs> that's the next step. Because I'm going to give a shout out to Francisco aside from the logo. 
guys, he literally does everything social media wise, and then Andrew does. I contribute to nothing. It, it is pulling teeth. Like Francis <laughs> the least we could do is me. make you do the OnlyFans portion. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I there ain't no glue in my jib, pal. I do what I gotta do. Um, but like, they have to pull my teeth to be like, hey, can you just just retweet a tweet because. I just keep it very, you know, private with the social media. It's not that I'm against social media. I don't think the government's tracking me. The government's been tracking me since the Patriot Act, guys. If you look at I'm Charles's just... follows, it's like wrestlers and and video games. <laughs> That's yeah, it. and it will be it will be Jeremy. Speaking of which, followers follow us on uh, Twitter. Get free holes. F J O J R. Charles the True. Uh, swing and efficient or swing and emissions? Swings uh, and emissions. Swings go. and emissions. Jeremy's on it. And then BU and uh, Freddy, their their social media handles because they are also part of the team too. Because they're part of the what? Goof World Order. Um, I, I got it in. I, I got it. That logo, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a shout out to you. I forgot what I was going on here, but every now and then people like praise because it's Tuesday and we praise the sun, we praise tacos, and we praise, you know, sports goofs. All right. Let's go into college football, okay? Because we have some right, stuff that happened, stuff that went down. Mega stuff. stuff. Okay, let's get our teams out of the way just to start out, and then we'll we'll head on over to top twenty-five because some really fun games that happened. Uh, FIU virus. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, Francisco, I sent um, college football Fred Rank over to the chat. Ooh, I have to look for that. But uh, uh, FAU victory. Over uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, Florida State is in a very dark hole, and we will not mention them at all from here on out. <laughs> UCF did was on play. a bye. Yep. And the Miami Hurricanes just hang on and defeat NC State. And I got to get Freddie's take on this because here's the thing if Clemson doesn't have Lawrence for another game and they lose, BS game, by the way. But if they lose, then do we get ACC title match? Possibly. I don't know how they he would think there's going to He thinks it's going to be an ACC title match anyway. I can, I can live with that. Because I think Notre Dame gets the access in from what we've all talked about, right? For the ACC Correct. title. And then well, like, they, they always have access in, even when they're not in the ACC. But you've never really seen them. You know what I mean? What I'm talking about. I think it's just this year if I'm not mistaken, because I think this was a continuation of my miseducation from last year. But the point being... They got in, uh, I think, like a year or two ago to the top four. Oh, no, I'm not saying about the uh, college, but just for the... Because remember, we're not going to... You know, the U is not going to get into the actual college football playoffs. So right now, it's just kind of like, can we get into the ACC title game? Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. You know, sometimes you guys really... Really, it's like the idea you have to be happy that you get your toys at the Dollar Tree instead of Toys R Us. Sorry, kids, Toys R Us is a great story. You might not remember it. That's where I'm at right now. Um, but yeah, Derek King, he's doing work. I'll, that's all I can say on that. All right, so I've got the Fred rank up here right now. So here we go. He's got Bama at number one. Of course, they are number one now. Trash. Uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin, his fighting Irish, who's also... One in an epic game against Clemson. We will talk about that. And they moved on below Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Oregon, Georgia, despite the fact they lost to Florida, Indiana, those damn dirty Gators, Northwestern, Texas A&M, Boo Jimbo, 
Oklahoma State, BYU, Marshall, Miami, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, Iowa State, Auburn, and Boise State to round it out. And oh, Appalachian State, Utah, SMU. Didn't see those at the end. Sorry. So, top 25 games, guys. Boise State lost to BYU 51-17. A thorough spanking by the Cougars. But that Clemson-Notre Dame game, did you guys see it? I did. I watched highlights. Opinions? Uh, well, <laughs> I tuned in for a bit. It was... Honestly, I had to, I had turned it off for a little bit because I thought, oh, there was no way. Uh, I forget which team. Um, I think it was Clemson. Uh, I thought there was no way that Clemson was going to be able to come back from this, or maybe it was Notre Dame. Um, but I turned it back on, and sure enough, they were tied. And Freddie has admitted to me that he thinks that if Trevor Lawrence is back for the re- for a rematch, there's no chance in hell that Notre Dame wins. Mm. Um, I'm inclined to agree. I mean... I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine. I asked him, what is, what is the recipe for the most sort of... What is the recipe for the most chaos? And he said it would be a close Notre Dame victory. Um, And he said that in the middle of regulation, so his prophecy came true. Um, Personally, I would have preferred that Notre Dame lost just because it would have given a better chance of Cincinnati getting Mm. higher up in the ranks. Yeah. but I will say that Notre Dame or Cincinnati is starting to understand our grief from 2017 and 2018. Uh, we're very much, I mean, we, we feel for them. We understand where they're coming from. We've been there twice. Um, but we're basically saying, you know, welcome to the club. We have refreshments. Um, <laughs> if you want to learn how to claim a national championship, these are the steps. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Um, I think it's total BS how how it goes, uh, but it it is just how it is in this current system. So, so he's mentioning here that UCF uh, is favored over Cincinnati according to ESPN, which I am surprised by. I'm very surprised by this because. Our defense has been picked apart twice this season. Um, and really all it takes for the offense to break down is for even a semi-competent defensive line to put any sort of pressure on Dylan Gabriel. Mm. So Cincinnati is... Yeah, I'm surprised by that. A 60% margin, that's surprising. I, if anything, I would have expected like a 50.0001. Yeah. I mean, um, they, they beat you guys last season, right? So. Yes. So. Uh, 
that seems like a surprise to me just given the track record of what happened last year and of course how both teams are playing this year but right there's, there's some I mean x factor that i'm not look i'm not seeing of course i'm no expert in football all right i don't have 25 fantasy teams but <laughs> yeah, that, I'm just going by what I see. So as as a as a dirty casual, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, and I, yeah, I I just don't know how we pull out that victory. Or who knows? We might. Uh, defense played pretty well last week against Houston. Um, strangely enough. Uh, the loss of four defensive starters actually kicked things into high gear. Um, maybe just shaking things up a little bit kind of helped. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. We have a... a I never want to call any game easy because mm-hmm. having lived through 2015, um, we lost to freaking Furman. Um so no game. I don't take any game for granted anymore, uh, which sucks. <laughs> I've, I've, I've lost that peace of mind. Uh, but we have a an easier game against Temple coming up. Yeah. Uh, we beat them last year, and according to a friend of mine, they are very depleted on their roster. They're barely at two deep, which for if you guys don't know, uh, too deep is basically a fancy way of saying the starters and then a backup behind them. Um, because, you know, on offense and defense, you have 11 players. So that's 22 players. You back that up. You've got 44 players. So I think I read they have like 50 players. So that's, that's going to be a lot of tired players because you don't get to substitute in as much. Um, why are the base runners fighting the fielders? It's MLB game? Slugfest, dude. This is one of the greatest <laughs> games of that generation. The, the Dreamcast, PS2, Xbox, GameCube era. Oh, boy. This is stuff that's missing. This is the stuff that's missing in sports video games uh, this coming generation, all right? <laughs> I would buy an Xbox Series X or whatever if if this if these types of games were being were still being released, you know. Uh, I I love how the phrasing of that. Why are the base runners fighting the fielders? What is this game? So, um, <laughs> makes us feel old because I remember when this was the shiznit to get stuff. You know, when the PS2 era and that NFL Blitz. Yes. NFL Blitz, NHL Hits, and uh, and this game, MLB Slugfest. And I guess NBA Jam is kind of the NBA version of this. Uh, it's like Backyard, it's like backyard Baseball, baseball for Adults. <laughs> kind of, except with more fighting. Yeah. Um, um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll give a quick preview of the week of well, college I, football. I wanted to mention one thing here. Um, Michigan lost to Indiana. Yes. Again. Is 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 Harbaugh a good coach? No. I, I feel like people tell me like it's like 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 is he a good coach or did he used to be a good coach and it's over now you know or does he need to re- you know 
step back for a bit or go back to the NFL, you know? Like, he's done here. He's done with the kids. Like, I, it's like, why do people keep giving Michigan chances? It's like giving Tennessee a chance, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't really say whether he's good or not and whether he's just flopping uh, and he's a failed coach. I don't know. I mean, can he just, like, you know, just play out the Michigan year and then, like, wait for the Jets to draft Trevor Lawrence and then take the Jets job? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, boys, may I interject on John Harbaugh? Sure. Jim. Jim. John, is the, John Jim, is the Baltimore sorry. one. That's right. I don't, obviously, there's only one who has a Super Bowl ring and has success. Just saying. So, about Jim Harbaugh, trash! <laughs> because you don't win the rivalry games. I think you're like, what, one in nine now in your four years? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with Freddie on that one. But you you don't show up. You lost to Michigan State last week. You lost to Indiana. You're going to lose to Ohio State if you guys ever play against each other, if they haven't already played. Um, they play at the end of the season. Yeah, well, then, well guess what's going to happen? You know, it's not a prediction. It's a spoiler, folks. And the problem is, is that this is what happens when – ADs and boosters settle on rivalry games and say on the bread and butter because he's been extended out for two years too long on the basis of like, but he'll get a chance. And all he's got to do is beat Ohio State. And all he's got, I don't know how a Michigan person sounds, so I'm just doing my, my <laughs> typical like Texas Longhorn thing because every year is like the Texas Longhorns year. Um, so, you know, just put that with a Michigan accent or they're just like, what the heck? Finger Lakes? I just remember the Jim Terry thing from uh, the office. Finger Lakes for Michigan. Anyway, um, you know, Ann Arbor, go to the Wolverines. You know, you, you're not doing anything. You couldn't do anything with Shea Patterson. I think Denard Robinson or whatever is the shoelace kid. You know, <laughs> well, I because, his name. because that's not a Michiganer. <laughs> well, I, I haven't met them. So, you know, I don't even think they're real people. Just saying, you know, they're not existent. It's imaginary. Uh, be used like I'm from Michigan. Um, but yeah, so it's just you're not there concretely. You don't really, does he even, would you say that he even, um, does he recruit well? Because I almost said scout and drafting some of the NFL terms, but, you know, recruiting wise, there's never been anybody who's really been the big contention. What, Jabril Peppers was the only one? And I believe he went to Michigan and he didn't really. Do any, he hasn't done anything in the pro level that it translates into it. But aside from that, you haven't had that major offensive player. You have not had that major defensive player. I'm just thinking A's, at least those must be like, yeah, that's true. Um, so that's just like my thought process with it from watching those games, watching the hype, watching everything. He was good in Stanford. Why was he good in Stanford? Guess who he had? Andrew Luck, the guy who's smart enough to get the hell out of the game because the game's not going to protect his neck. But um, an excellent quarterback at that time. So it just leads to believe that I, I don't think the talent's there. He'll get another opportunity. He'll probably go to the NFL. Why not? Because in the NFL, you can get a 10-year contract with the right ownership for $100 million, mostly guaranteed. Looking at you, Gruden. So there's going to be that desperate team. And wouldn't the Jets want Jim, right? Wouldn't they like that idea of it? The guy who came in that first year, did some stuff, second year, went to the Super Bowl. He has a whole bunch of clout to him as a pro guy. His final year was eight and eight in the pros. That's great. There were guys who were going around four and 12. There's so wrong. Hugh Jackson was able to go winless and still have his job that next year. <laughs> Fellas, I can't lie about this. Hmm. So trash is my overall thought process. Speaking <laughs> of, I just want to mention the guys, uh, you know, 
And we might have to start covering other college sports because, you know, uh, they got college basketball preseason rankings. It came out. College hockey um, came out. Gonzaga's number one, right, for basketball? I think I so. Think? North, I think probably. North Dakota's number one for, for hockey, for D1 hockey right now. BU would probably know. Yeah. From what I last saw about it, I'm trying to get back now that there's no baseball and stuff in the offseason and get back into NHL, NBA. Training camp might start in three weeks. And I still don't know what the NHL is going to do with regards to that. And I'd like to um, kind of see what happens with the NHL. But that's an aside there. Uh, anyways, so that was, uh, so yeah, we talked about. And, okay, Andrew, uh, you can give your what, preview as to what we're looking forward North, to next week. North Dakota is the preseason number one for men's hockey. Not surprised. Um, despite being the Michigan of college hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, at least at least Nodak has won more re- a championship more recently than than Michigan. But I digress. Hmm. Um, so, just a quick uh, look at some of the big games this this week in college football. Uh, Shula Bowl nineteen is on Friday, hey. uh, seven o'clock on CBS SN, CBS Sports Network. It's going to be played down here at Mi- in Miami at Ricardo Silva Stadium. FAU, I don't know the odds, but they are probably are they favored to win. Watch that game. They're letting the people in. What's that? Are they going to let people in to see that? Yeah. Okay. Um, Not that I'm going, I mean, but I'm just per- asking. Personally, I wouldn't recommend going just because of COVID, but you do you. Hmm. Um, some big games. Miami is ranked number nine in the AP. They are going to Lane Stadium out in Blacksburg, Virginia, to play the Hokies of Virginia Tech. Um, here's a big one. Indiana. This is the first time they've been ranked in the top ten since the mid-'80s. Um, They're ranked 10th. They are heading over to East Lansing, Michigan, to play the Michigan State Spartans. Mm. Uh, let's see other big games. UCF is playing at home against Temple uh, Saturday night. Starting at 7.30, coincidentally enough, SpaceX is launching a rocket about 19 minutes after the the slated start time. Okay. So, barring it being scrubbed, you will be able to see a... a uh, I, I keep wanting to say shuttle, because but it's not. Um, a rocket, a a spacecraft, a spacecraft launch, um, sometime in the middle of the first quarter, nice. because believe it or not, uh, and this is totally intentional, the fifty yard line of the bounce house is on the exact same longitudinal line as thirty as launch pad thirty nine A over at Kennedy Space Center. Okay. So you see the launches coming up over the uh, the east side stands, uh, which is really awesome. And it's really cool looking to see, especially at night. Um, so that covers our teams. And then we have a whole host of cancellations um, this week. Uh, number one, Alabama at LSU has been postponed. Uh, number five, Texas A&M at Tennessee postponed. Number 24, Auburn at Mississippi State is postponed. 
and Memphis at Navy is postponed. Mm-hmm. So three top 25 teams, including the including two top five teams, have have had games postponed, and that is big news because three of those games are SEC conference games, and the SEC is is projected to have at least one team in the college football playoff. So we will see how that plays out because. Uh, um, assuming unless they're able to somehow play those games, you know that's one lack of a game that hurts their resume. Yeah. Okay. So we shall see. All right. So let's move on. We'll do NFL. How is everyone's fantasy teams doing this week? I'm on uh, a three-game winning streak. Well then. And by the way, uh, Fred Rank is, uh, NFL Fred Rank is over in the chat. And there it is. Ah, see? See, I was working in the background. There you go. All right. Uh, Yeah, uh, I won by, I think, like 80 points. So it was a pretty good week. (laughs) Every week, Charles' size and stuff. I don't know. It it fuels me for some reason. (laughs) My name is... Freddie is 133 and 92 on the season. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trapped with Trujillo for this a week, Charles. What went My wrong? running backs, man. My running backs screwed it up. And you know what else happened? Kyler Murray only like he must be a pedophile because he only likes to throw the balls to little boys like Christian Kirk, oh my like real men, like Mel Hopkins. <laughs> listen, listen. He got like five I'm points. I'm not adding that points. one out, by the way. No, <laughs> you know, like what happened here? This is this is Hopkins here, man. Look, the other Hopkins, the guy who like went through every single irrelevant quarterback in Houston, and Kyler Murray wasn't given Christian Kirk. Kyler Murray wasn't given Larry. So I love Larry, but still. My running backs didn't do anything. I lost both my games. It's more or less that they kind of pooped the bed because Derrick Henry only got like 11 points on one league. I don't care too much about the non-money league. That's always just fun. But with the money league, um, it's going to be easier. It's, a, it's like an eight-man league, so it's not that hard. Down still in contention with playoffs, one, four, and five. I don't like it. But Todd Gurley got a, like a basic touchdown like points. But then uh, Montgomery – here's the thing about drafting running backs, Francisco – you draft and get the guys and start them in volume and how much touches they're going to get. So Montgomery is the clear-cut lead back. And now he's been going. It was like, okay, 12, 13 points game. I could work with it. And then it was just like five. That was sad. Deshaun Watson, I love you. Keenan Allen, I love you. Y'all are men. You're honorary part members of the Goof Order. You have yet to fail me. Um, I had to start Justin Jefferson because Chris Godwin, I was like, I don't know if he's going to go or not. But it turned out Chris Godwin can't do anything because Tom Brady is overrated trash. Big time trash already. That Bucks team is overrated. And yet I trusted Chris Godwin. So I'm just butthurt. I want because here's the thing. I don't care. I don't like how I feel Sundays at 3 p.m. I get angry. I get frustrated. <laughs> I feel like I'm owning these people who don't even know I existed. These are the guys who are thinking. You feel like, why am I burn. paying you guys? <laughs> yeah, they, they're like, oh, you know, these guys are like, how is it that you survived and the other sperm didn't get to, you know, inseminate the egg? You of all people, this fan who you know is trash at Trio. Um, so I'm just a little frustrated to it. But you know what? Upside, like five more weeks and I don't have to deal with it, assuming I don't get the playoffs. I get the playoffs, then that's terrible. And here's the worst thing about it. I was going against my paralegal, and he is the leader. He's 7-2 and two now. So we have a running joke because I have nicknames in my program for um, that are wrestling components. So 
I call myself the tribal chief out of Roman Reigns' thing for wrestling because, you know, all things related to wrestling. So he's like, you're not the chief. I'm the chief now. And it hurt my pride. <laughs> oh, boy. Screw you, Kyler Murray. You're great well, thank you, Kyler Murray, because the Miami Dolphins won. We are 5-3. and three. It was like the like we haven't been 5 and 3 since 2014 like my god man I'm, guys it's happening man i'm i'm turning i'm turning i'm, I'm, I'm going to make a redaction he's not trash he's not too a trash i just from I, that game alone I, I i'm i'm turning guys this pessimistic dolphins fan might might actually have hope which is very dangerous by the way for an nfl fan just mm-hmm. oh man it, it hurts man you know the, the the 2000 grinch uh movie you know when he started right. to get those first heartbeats and it just hurt it was like having a heart attack that's how i feel with the dolphins man I'm like oh my god i texted doug a dolphins gif like that was very happy oh man you're the spongebob feel... meme when he's like let's go <laughs> i i just feel gross man i feel like squidward when he first ate a krabby patty and just went nuts from there. Watch. Well, I'm just, I'm, if I become a positive Dolphins fan, ooh, dear Lord, I might actually be insufferable. But uh, this is, there's a possibility. That's what scares me, man. That's what's, I, 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 the Dolphins haven't been, my lifetime since I've been a Dolphins fan, man. It's just 20 years of, of just what is happening. Like what, like slowly chipping away at my soul and finally, uh, making me like football fourth amongst these sports and now in this year of all years the marlins make the playoffs the heat make it to the finals the florida panthers are still the same um and the dolphins are good the defense is really good brian Flores has established a culture what is happening Ooh, oh but there's always one tried and true thing that gives me my jollies, and it's the New York Jets and their glorious tank. Winning against the New England Patriots. Looking like they'd get their first victory. Everybody's been beating the Patriots. But somebody, a, a collective group of New York Jets, coaches and staff and players, realized that they needed to keep their eye on the prize. That tank was, was falling apart at the seams. And they built that thing back up, and they made sure they could trudge along and continue its battle. <laughs> what a tank, man! What a great tank job! Just you know, the the suspense. All right, one of the worst Monday night football games to ever be scheduled in a long while. We thought Thursday night football games were awful. This was man. Who gave the New York Jets a Monday night football game? Seriously. Who at ESPN, all right, who at ESPN and the NFL offices thought, hmm, the New York Jets deserve a Monday night football game? Why? Why? Why was that done? Okay? Aside from looking at such a glorious tank, because that's always fun to watch. But why was that? Oh, man. Oh, oh, Adam Gase, you are one of the luckiest people in this world. I wish I could be paid to suck. I really do. Doesn't that seem like a dream job? It is. Right? You get paid to suck. 
That's even that's that's better than getting paid just to be there. <laughs> getting paid to just be there, you just do nothing. Getting paid to suck, man. I, it must be really fun to try to suck, right? You imagine. Well, I I wouldn't do it at Charles's day job, nor at my day job because we deal with people's lives. But I'm talking about like, I don't know. I guess yeah, sports is probably the only one where. It really, like, people will move on, you know. You're not going to affect too many lives aside from your players and such like that. But sports is probably, like, the only one where you can, like, you can really try to suck. I mean, there have been years where teams teams literally try to suck, and that must be really fun. Oh, if, you know, me and Charles, we talked about running a, a sports team or wrestling, whatever, last week. I would love to have one chance to be like, okay, you have one job. Make this team suck as much as possible. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, essentially, there's been plenty of GMs or coaches that have already kind of done that. I mean, what's his face over in Philly? Oh. Um, yeah, I, I forget the name because, you know, what happens is when you're gone for a while, I forget your name. Go into it. Trust the process. What's his name? It's going to bother me. Because once Sam you're five. Yes, Sam Hankey. Because here's the thing about Sam Hankey you're not coming back, dude. You're not going to get another job ever again. I think you'll get an analytics position, but you're not going to get that high of a position, I would venture. Yeah. Um, but that's the whole thing. That's essentially what he did. He says, trade away everybody's talent, start people that you don't know, get a fall guy coach, tell people to trust the process, and then have the process not work in and of itself, and then, you know, uh, sit back and profit. It's like I, the uh, little stuff part me. It just, it feels, man, that it's, it's it seems like it would be really fun. I'm sure people... I, I mean, I've, you see it on SB Nation. I think uh, Andrew, uh, I think like Dorktown and those things like that, that uh, John Boyce does, where they intentionally like mess with sports video games. Right. They do that. Uh, but man, I, I'd love to, just one season where I could just kind of get in there and, and really mess up a team. Like if I could tear down the Atlanta Braves, holy crap. Oh man, would I make them suck. I would go after that New York Mets record. Uh, the 1962 match. I would really gun for it. I'm like, this is happening, folks. See, this you have happening. to pick a team that's excellent because the the crowd reaction that's tears. The Boston oh. Red Sox essentially did it this year. We're trying to win Mookie votes. Dave Press got to go. You know, all these people have to go, and we're just going to rely on uh, Xander Bogans. Let's do it. Uh, any other games that stuck out to you guys from the NFL last week? Um, I watched. What did I watch? I think that's a good the question. Bills I, getting so, that victory oh, over Colts, Seahawks. Colts, Colts Baltimore was our uh, Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts was good just because of how that Baltimore defense turned around. Apparently, up until the end of the game, there was only like four plays that Indy was able to do. And that's some impressive stuff for a defense standpoint. I still think that Lamar Jackson's just a stat stuffer at this point. I really don't know who your MVP is either. And I know we might be a little premature, but mm. I like me some Russ. I love me some Russ. He's my only guy in fantasy football. But those three picks, you know, isn't helping. And if you're doing MVP, it's for the guys who are really, like, pristine yeah. that are coming into it. Because here's the thing. I want to ask this question, and Freddie can jump on this too, or anybody who wants to. Is it time we consider Dalvin Cook to be MVP runner? But the team might finish 6-10. I mean, mean, but there are Packers fans that are, like, you know, Packers fans hate Minnesota. But, like, there's, there's people who are like, man, how can you, like, not like this guy. Seriously, he's the best back in the league. He's, he's the best. I mean, Gold Knowles. 
Right? He's the one shining thing that we've got so far. Uh, even though Jameis actually came into that Bucks game <laughs> against oh, the Saints. Sure. That was fun. Because um, if it's not him, then you have to go to the most undeserving MVP based off of stats and you know team wins at the very end, even though the fact that they're playing easy teams, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Because I don't think I think Russ is going to lose that team. A couple more losses, it just disappears. And I'd rather have Dalvin Cook and their six and ten Vikings because he's probably going to come close to the rushing yards. I I know, don't and, I don't have let's I don't have that much of a knowledge as to NFL writers and how they they go about things with regards to voting for stuff. I can kind of gauge hockey and baseball and even basketball with who they're going to vote for for certain awards at the end of the day. I, I feel like NFL writers, from what I've been able to follow and see, I feel like they, they just kind of go to what we think is going to happen. So I feel like if, you know, things go the way they are for the Packers, they win their division, they make the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers has those. I feel like they would vote Rodgers over Dalvin. He's on a losing team, this and that, so... Um, the last running back to get the MVP though, was Adrian Peterson. Freddie's got them finishing with a winning record, but not making the playoffs. Uh, it really it, it depends on the milestones that he hits during the season. Like if he's hitting like you know running back records of some sort, then I could see some maybe. But I find it, I find it hard from from what i know of nfl writers uh, from what i know okay boom boom yeah I know. All I say. uh let's see yep yeah, saints destroyed the bucks battle of the geriatrics uh steelers still undefeated first time they've ever started eight and oh which is surprising given the history of the franchise uh let's see what else happened your titans Beat the Bears, who are falling back down to earth as well. So, uh, your your boy, Brown, with a touchdown, five straight games. The, okay, all right. Anything from the NFL that sticks out for you guys, aside from that, we can move on? I'm going to give one because it just came in that they're going to give additional draft picks for any team that hires a minority coach. Hmm. That's going to be very unpopular amongst a lot of people. And mm-hmm. it's not the position that anybody of, you know, different race, creative, necessarily should get a chance. They all should. And I think part of that issue comes from the fact that the people who are successful that you want to hire, a lot of teams aren't going to wait for them because they tend to be on playoff teams. That's what the Eric Bieniemy issue is. When you're in, you know, Kansas City constantly winning all the time, what are you going to do, Right. Um, yeah. On top of other stuff, and I, I don't know how I feel, but I do believe that you have, and this is just my opinion, you do have some coaches, ownerships who don't, they don't even like kind of getting young players, so they kind of want to get their old antiquated guys. I mean, you know, Jay Gruden's been around, they go from there, so you might not get guys who are new, you might get guys who get shuffled down because of experience, um, but if you're adding in picks, that might cause some controversy. Because here's the thing, too, is that it's at the discretion of ownership. And I don't think it's a racial motivation, even though I love the conspiracies. But what's this going to do if no one really hires anybody? It wasn't last year the NFL, no, I'm thinking NBA, that was the most fired um, you know, African-American coaches. And then you, know, you get Steve Nash, who was never had a day on the job. But that's yeah. in the NBA. But for the NFL, 
there's going to be some, there's already been what, two firings. There's a third one that's presumably going to happen with Gase. And a few, I still think Mike Zimmer might get fired, but I draft picks, because you have to think about this in the long run. It's a draft pick. You don't know what you're getting as a draft pick. Is it a compensatory draft pick? Is it just an additional supplemental pick if they bring back the supplemental draft, which is irrelevant and I don't understand it anyway? What's the incentive that you're kind of going from there? I don't know. Maybe if the issue was you have these great um, coaches, coordinators who have an opportunity to interview elsewhere if they're on the teams. And mind you, I'm only just going on people that are on successful teams because, no, even though Hugh Jackson you know, is an African-American coach, the guy was a terrible coach. So maybe you want to give Eric Bieniemy that opportunity more so, but then wait him out. But the thing is, you get some impatient teams, and how are you gonna how are you gonna find any kind of racial motivation? Because isn't that what they're trying to really hit at, or they're just saying that it's not the opportunity that we're seeking for? Yeah. And also, what's what's your, I mean, what what's your definition of what a minority coach might be, right? And I, I know what it means, but I think you guys get what I'm saying of on their criteria. I'm just trying to figure out because is it it's going to be controversial. I think some people don't want to touch upon it because they might think it's racist. I don't think it's racist. I just think that if some managements wanted to wait out to actually interview people, instead the successful guys, the successful coordinators are going to miss out because of the fact that they're, they can't skip the interviews. A lot of them don't. Some do, some don't. It's just curious. And what kind of draft compensation? Because here's the thing. For those who say, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't have rewarded for hiring people. If it's just seven round picks, man, that's nothing. Why does that matter? It's not like they're going to get as high as a third. Um, so I just want to hear what you guys thought about it. I mean, I, this is news to me that I didn't. So now it, it literally broke like 20 minutes ago. And as I oh. saw it, so a lot of it's just, um, you know, a, you know, natural. Reaction. I, I, th- I, I mean, I think because like, I don't know. Uh, Dolphins have Brian Flores. Yeah, and he's great. He's um, he's technically Honduran. Uh, yeah. Family, um, so people. The, thus, the last name Flores. Um, he's been a great hire because he was a great hire, not because he was a minority. The Dolphins did their due diligence and hired the best man for the job, and that's kind of, I guess, to me, the definition of equality right there, where it really is truly based on merit. Now, I can see some sort of benefit to it for the NFL because, you know, we all know about the coaching slash managing carousel. I mean, freaking Tony LaRusso's got hired by the freaking White Sox. Um, but we know the retreads. We know how many retreads there are in, in, all these, in all of these sports, man. The NHL has the coaching carousel. Man, is the NHL a coaching carousel. Uh, is Daryl Sutter... Coaching anybody, Andrew? I don't even remember, man. He was the coach of the Kings, and I don't even know. So, um, real quick, I do have the numbers of what they give. Um, they're of draft picks. So, um, let's see. I believe they say finalize a 10 month discussion aimed at boosting the likelihood the teams will seek out, consider higher minority coaching and executive candidates. They approved a resolution to reward teams with draft picks if one of their minority coaches or personnel people is hired to be a head coach or general manager. So it's kind of like, hey, maybe inward promotion going from there. I know they had talked about um, ultimately deciding that blah, 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 blah. Moving forward, teams will receive two third-round compensatory draft picks if someone from their organization is hired or promoted to a head coaching or general manager. So really looking at that then, it's not really – it's the incentive is the organization hires those people and those depart into a different job. 
you know, I, I think on the news break from Twitter, because, you know, with Twitter, the worst place for information <laughs> was making it seem as if follow us on Twitter, guys, was making it seem like, oh, you hired this guy. You're going to get this. But I think, right, yeah. hey, that, that's a boot. I think a third round pick still kind of too high. But I don't know. I, I think I'm a little bit more at peace with that than anything. And sorry to interrupt you, but I, I had to look deeper into it to see what it was yeah. about. No, no, that's fine. Uh, but that's my that's my initial thing. I mean, I haven't read it. I haven't seen anything. I'm sure it's gonna people. Plenty of people are gonna overreact to it because it is sports. So, and that's it. But whatever. I mean, it's nothing that it doesn't bother me to be honest. If they want to do it, yeah. go ahead and do it. Yeah. You know? I mean, where's the harm into it? You know, I just I don't see what the big issue is. I I guess I can hear the arguments towards it, but as long as everybody gets a fair chance to interview, is my whole basis of it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm just saying, hey, you know, if you want to get hire the right guy, hire the right guy. Don't hire it because the fan base pressures you to hire a guy immediately as another successful guy like Eric Bieniemy is waiting, winning Super Bowls. He might get another one this year, guys. It's a shame that he doesn't get a chance to interview and get hired. Same way how Mike Zimmer did a couple of years ago had to wait his turn when everybody was touting him when he's with um, defensive coordinator for the Bengals. Yeah. It's uncultured swine, the newest song ah. that I've made. All right. I want to give a nice a nice toss-up to Freddie there. We got a CFL team today. Okay. Is Andrew still on the line? I don't even hear him. I'm here. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure that you're still there, dude. Anyways, we got a CFL team. Oh, I went with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Nice. Because I kind of like the name Tiger Cat. It's kind of redundant, but still. <laughs> the Hamilton it's Tiger not just Cats. Any kind of cat. It's a Hamilton Tiger Cat. <laughs> so the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Thai Cats, whatever you want to call them, established in 1950, even though you can go back to the 1800s for the history of football in Hamilton. Either way, we're going to put 1950. Uh, uh, of course, they play in the CFL, the Canadian Football League. They have eight gray cups. Their last one was back in 1999, even though they've made a few appearances the last, I think like last season, uh, 2019, they made a gray cup appearance. Uh, funny thing is, they're... Uh, let's see what the, there is a reason for the redundant name though personally flying tigers would have worked better for the merged names ah okay i see so um uh their logo used to be or they have a modern update to their logo but their previous logo and i guess i can go on sportslogos.net to show you um princeton copied their logo and it straight up copied, or they got permission from Hamilton to use the logo. Hamilton said they made the logo. It was a Canadian dude that made the Tiger Cats logo, the Leaping Tiger, there. So I just want to show you uh, what I am talking about. Where is the Canadian Football League? There we go. So Hamilton Tiger Cats. This was uh, their retro logo here, as you can see. Very, uh, very retro. Incredibly retro there, and I'll show you what I'm talking about with regards to Princeton. Let's go to colleges. Head on over to Princeton right now. 
I like their current logo, by the way, with the P with the tiger stripes. And there it is. They just did a flipped version of the Hamilton Tiger Cats logo. So there you go with regards to that. But the Tiger Cats, I couldn't, I, I, and I couldn't find in my I guess the time that I was prepping this any lo notable alumni of theirs that played in like the NFL or anything like that. So I don't have that list. However, uh, they do play at the most Canadian of names for a stadium. Tim Hortons Field. So, uh, everything in Canada is either named after Scotiabank, Rogers, or Tim Hortons. So, uh, that is truly the most Canadian of names. And they are set to host the Grey Cup next year. So, that's, that's all I got for this uncultured swine. We're getting pressed for time. Let's head on over to the cage. Whew. Tell me when I'm ready. Oh, yeah. All right. Welcome, everybody, to your weekly Truplex the Cage with Charles. Full disclaimer, wrestling is not fake. It is scripted. It is a song. It is a dance. It is a ballet. It is bloodbaths and mayhem and hatred and people putting their bodies online for my entertainment as I just eat Cheetos and put my finger in my belly button. Um, it's a story about men and women chasing championships, men and women dealing with some blood feuds, and women just doing comedy acts for comedy routines. Now, I think I can kind of keep it pretty brief this week because right now we're in the final build of Survivor Series. I will tell you, you know, Major League Wrestling's coming back, MLW. They're announcing a few things. Um, New Japan, we've got things to talk about. But we're kind of going to focus a little bit on AEW today because for the first time in a long time, I don't have to really talk about Vince McMahon that much. So let's get Vince McMahon out of the way. Hmm. Raw, SmackDown, Survivor Series coming in next week's Go Home Shows. Um, as you know, brand promotion, even though it makes no sense to me because you're having people from Raw and SmackDown wrestling against each other since the COVID happened. But, you know, it's about brand supremacy. How can you say you have brand supremacy? You're not including NXT this year. Hold, hold on, Charles. Right. You sound very far away right now for some reason. Can you hear me now? Now you're better. There we go. I Probably because I stood up for a second in exclamation. But how can you say it's brand supremacy when you're not including NXT this year, given the fact that you had NXT last year? Oh, that's right. That was a ploy to get people to watch it over AEW on Wednesday nights because we have the Wednesday night wars. It's a small mm. war, not a big war. Um, typically with the Survivor Series, you'll have champions going against each other. No title defenses. Some highlights is going to be Sasha versus Asuka, each respectively representing the women's um, tag team division. Or I'm sorry, not tag team division. Uh, single title division. So I'm one tag team championship for the women's. They won't defend it there. Men's tag teams going against each other. Um, Three Profits and the New Day for now. There is a title match that will happen next week on Raw where it's the New Day versus the Hurt Business. And that's where you might get a little screwy results and the Hurt Business will end up getting the Raw Tag Team Championships. That kind of fits into the mold because now you have a heel versus a face. But this is one of those times where you can get some original stuff. Now, recently in the last couple of years, we've had good Survivor Series matches. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan, the champion versus champion stuff. A couple of years back when Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt were still a thing as a group of the Wyatt family, they had an excellent all-men Survivor Series matchup, just to name some examples. But then you get some snoozers. Some of the storylines are building into Raw and SmackDown is getting the final members of, this, of their Survivor Series team. So this week, the final fifth member was Matt Riddle, who now goes by Riddle because Vince doesn't want people to Google Matt Riddle and find out that he was accused in the accusations about 
sexually assaulting somebody. Whether or not those are true, I'm not here for that. I'm just here to kind of tell you Vince changes names for the weirdest things because at the end of the day, you putting Riddle WWE in a Google search engine is not going to stop the past lawsuit allegations from coming up. Um, some storylines are going on. Roman's continuing his descent of brainwashing Jey Uso into the dark side. They had a match on SmackDown, him versus Kevin Owens, Jey Uso versus Kevin Owens, Jey won. I love what they're doing with Jey. If they don't get The Rock to have Roman against him at, and don't worry, I see that all in wrestling. We're going to talk about that. But if they don't get The Rock and Roman at uh, WrestleMania, I wonder if they're going to have, they're going to pull the trigger and put that Universal Championship on Jey Uso and make it come full circle. We shall see. I question. I wonder. I think things. Do I know things? I predict things. I'm kind of right. I know Vince McMahon. Um, but right now, WWE is a little bit of a ho-hum thing as they're trying to build new superstars, that they're trying to deal with the pandemic. they got to figure out where they're going for home because they were over in Amelia Arena. I believe that's the uh, where the Thunderdome was there. That's in Orlando, right, Andrew? Yeah. The right. Amelie Arena? Yeah. No, no, that's that's Tampa. That's in Tampa. Okay, so oh, what's the, the one? Amway Center. Amway Center, thank you. Because I, I think there was talks about using um, one of the arenas that's not season. Because right now I believe they use the Amway Center for the Thunderdome. But what happens is with the NBA restart that's coming around. It would have made more sense at the Amelie Arena. That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> or well, at Trump Field because it used to be called the Thunderdome. Well, you know, you need something that can house enough, right? But with the NBA about to restart, the Magic needed for their games, that's probably going to cross with the Monday, Wednesday, Friday components. And Vince doesn't necessarily want to put Raw and SmackDown back into Performance Center in Orlando, which they call Capital City Wrestling, but we owe Capital Wrestling City. But we all know it's really a performance center because it doesn't have that kind of big vibe sell that comes into it. So that's an issue he's got to figure out. They're talking about having a domed arena or some kind of stadium that they can utilize best of luck there's not that you. many to go with you know i mean yeah i mean you have I these just... smaller venues you got uh i don't know if you can we can list them andrew but i mean you've got i mean the big ones american airlines here bb and t center emily in tampa and amway in orlando and you got the smaller stuff like uh the one in jacksonville and then you but that's like aew territory oh. It is AEW territory, and so then you've got, uh, I guess, uh, the Hertz Arena out where the where the Everblades play. I mean, that's like, in, well, that's like in, in a sterile. I don't even know if they would. So, even, yeah, I have a resolution for this. It's very simple, Vince. Drive down two hours to Martin County. Utilize <laughs> my backyard because all you need is like a twenty by twenty. You don't even need that. It's really, like have a you ever seen Workaholics? 10. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what kind of led to it a little bit. Um, everybody likes a little bit of that backyard wrestling. In fact, there was a uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. They did the Talking Shop Mania, and they had like a little backyard brawl and their thing. It was stupid, but it was stupid funny. Um, just utilize it. You guys can use my bathroom. I'll have Cheetos. I'll, I'll cater. I don't care. Let me meet these cool superstars. You can, they can do pros. Because would you want to watch that? It's so weird. But imagine like, you know, uh, Jey Uso talking about how he has to go and go to the dark side because his, his cousin Roman Thunder, and there's my dog Byron in the background having to go pee. I, I would pay us to do that. That's good viewership. Fox, tell Fox right now. Come to my neck of the woods. I won't disclose my address because I don't want fan mail yet. Come to my address and I'll get your ratings up to three million. You're just only doing like two point three right now. Come on, you, those are rookie numbers. You gotta get those numbers up, Matt. You gotta get those numbers up. Um, I'll watch Survivor Series. I typically watch the Big Four because. 
I think it's one of those times where the storylines can kind of disappear and we just get some decent wrestling. I expect um, Asuka and Sasha to really knock out of the park. I think the tag matches will be trash if it's New Day and the Street Profits because they're both kind of like the comedy athletic kind of group. Um, even though I love me some Kofi Kingston and um, Xavier Woods. Also, the Street Profits, too. I remember when they were in the house shows before they get to the big time. Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn will be kind of trash because it just doesn't support. I'm waiting to see what they're going to do for SmackDown. It's also going to be The Undertaker's final farewell, so he's probably going to make an appearance because it would be 30 years since he appeared. So I would personally like it if he was just SmackDown's fifth man and all he did was come in and just choke slam somebody just to be in a ring so I could see him ring. And there's some people who have said, well, it would be fair for live audience to see so he can send up guys. We don't know when live audience would come around. The numbers are spiking every day. Vince doesn't want to be the place where he's a sloppy shop where everybody gets contracted, or you don't want to go to that venue and say, yeah, I went to this, but I got you know the CV. So um, it'll be interesting. Also, plus, Taker has all but retired. They released new merchandise. They want me to spend my money. Ironically, I don't have an Undertaker shirt. I don't think I really need one, though. I, I think it's you know it's pretty respectable. So I just get cool shirts that they look good and I wear at the show. So that's WWE. More on it next week. A couple things I got gripes on. Big gripes. I won't talk about Ring of Honor and all this stuff. New Japan, what the hell is going on with you? Why are you doing WWE booking? So you remember how Charles was right about Kota Ibushi winning the G1 Climax, which gets him a opportunity at Wrestle Kingdom, I believe January 4th and January 5th against, um, it's a two-day event, against Tetsuya Naito for his IGWP heavyweight and IGWP IC championship. So you win it, you have the right to defend it, but presumably no one's really lost that briefcase. So it's his time, and I was like, okay, we're going to get Coda. Coda's going to win it. It's good storylines, and maybe he'll feud with a couple dudes. Remember all that, right? Power struggle happened over the weekend. I, some of the other matches don't matter, except Shingo Sagagi and Minoru Suzuki was fire. So there was a little game segment that I was going to talk about, about, like, cool or not cool with the name moves. I might result, I might say that for another day, but I'm going to use one thing. Shingo Sagagi's finisher is called Last of the Dragon. And I, it's cool looking, and I think it's just the coolest freaking name for a finisher because you can do some cool stuff there. So Minoru lost his never overweight heavyweight championship or open weight because it's not technically heavyweight, open weight meaning anybody can challenge it, but his never open weight championship to Shingo. Shingo was the predecessor who had it and then I guess it's the back and forth. But Kodobushi versus Jay White. Jay White's not my guy, man. I'm trying to see why some people like him. I think he stagnated the Bullet Club in growing out the facial. And Jay White, if you hear me out, you're talented. You super are, dude. Like there's nothing against it. You, you, your whole concept of being the uh, the switchblade is awesome and it's cool. You're just, I don't see it with how they portrayed you now. I think partially it's because it's the Bullet Club, because Bullet Club hasn't really been good for a long time since Kenny Omega left in AEW. More on that later. Um, but so him and Coda go at Power Struggle, and the, can, the stipulation was that if Jay White wins, he gets the guaranteed title shot. And I just realized I picked a scab on my knee, you guys. I don't know how I got that. I guess from practicing my wrestling moves on the pillow. Um, with Sidlin Oh, okay, I'm reading the use thing. But yeah, bringing it back. So him and Coda have a match. Jay White wins. And now he's the one that can is going to go against Tetsuya Naito for his championships. Mind you, the problem with Jay White is Ghetto is the lead booker. Ghetto is also the manager for Jay White, so there's some nepotism there. But then this is where it gets even more dumb. So now it's been changed where Jay White is going to go against Tetsuya Naito. But however, Tetsuya Naito, who we love, He's head of Los Ingobernables de Japan, right? He's Destino. Love him. He basically looks like he came from a Persona video game um, with his personality, his attire. I love his entrance. I love how he comes into it. The guy's so cool. So anyway, Tetsuya's like, oh, hey, Wrestle Kingdom is too nice, right? Yeah. I feel like Koda deserves a title shot anyway because when him and I wrestled at G1 for the G1 Climax, 
briefcase, I, uh, you know, I lost to him, so I feel like he should get it. So even though Coda lost it, he's still going to get the title shot on the first night, and whoever wins that with the double champ belts will go against Jay White the next day. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you basically going to say, hey, to crown Coda, we're going to make him look good by him beating Naito, because Naito's not going to have those titles. Naito doesn't like Naito. There's a bad looking. That's how Evil won the titles in the first place, and then came in with Naito getting it back. I don't think Naito will win. I'd be shocked and surprised because it never happens. I can't get what I want. You know, New Japan's becoming Vince McMahon line. But are you going to have Coda win in a very tough match against Naito, and then you're, you're far away from us again, Charles. Oh, because I'm standing up again. I got so excited. But <laughs> Jay White is the prodigy, so what are we coming of this? And that's what I just don't understand. Because if you're booking somebody, the art of booking is booking how they're going to win, what their presentations going to be, the promos, and everything that happens after the fact, right? How are you going to say that this G1 Climax that you held a whole tournament on matters? To which you can lose it and then you lose it but still give them the championship belt i don't get it just do me a favor have naito drop the intercontinental title and then have naito retain the heavyweight championship plain and simple because that's the thing too two belts being held at the same time we spoke about it last week with um uh is it jeremy grisham jermaine grisham that won the pure title uh it makes no sense but he was a tag team champion but now we're talking about the biggest title on new japan and the second biggest title so it's kind of like devalued it because everybody's double champ champ now and you can't necessarily merge it uh not a fan not a fan boys not a fan aew they had full gear this weekend Mm -hmm. we had talked about it charles was not into it some of the builds charles was into some of the other builds some of the matches that they had that charles was looking into was the young bucks versus ftr formerly known as Survival, for the Tag Team Championships. Um, Adam Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega in the finals of their tournament. Whoever won gets a number one contender shot against, or gets a his number one contender, I guess, title shot against whoever was a champion between Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And then you had Ikaro Shida versus Nyla Rose, and a few other things that came into it. You had Cody versus Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. Charles watched a good portion of it. I didn't pay for it. YouTube is a beautiful thing. Sorry, Cody. Every week I tell you, follow us on Twitter. Maybe I'll pay the 50 bucks for every... <laughs> Cody, If right now, Cody Rhodes, if you follow us on Twitter with Sport Goofs, Charles the True, whatever, I will pay $50 each pay-per-view, hands down, and I will watch AEW over at NXT all the time for a year. For a year. I can't go past that. Um some of the matches were good. Some of the matches were a little bit underwhelming. Some matches were victims of bad booking. So Darby Allen is now your TNT championship. We already know how I kind of felt about Cody retaining in the first place. Originally, Cody was the OG TNT championship, and then Brody Lee demolishes him within three minutes. And instead of letting Brody and Darby have the proper story of David versus Goliath, because Brody Lee is huge, and you have Darby Allen, who's probably my height and thin, um, take down the Dark Order and Brody to get that big, big, you know, accomplishment. Cody ends up beating it or beating Brody on TNT in a dog collar match and then um, beats Orange Cassidy and then goes against Darby Allen just to lose Darby Allen because him and Darby have um, history. It's bad booking. It kind of, it doesn't look well to do it. And I don't think you gave me the vibes of I'm better than you kind of thing or I've got to be the star, but it kind of doesn't help you either. Yes, I know you want to say, hey, me losing is going to help put the new guy over, but, and this is a very big but, but does it really because you diminish Brody Lee's whole purpose 
and you also kind of make you look like a weak secondary champion on your second title run because you only have one defense. So not a big fan of it. Match was fine. It wasn't bad. I liked it. Um, match that kind of disappointed me. Disappointed me. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega, former tag team champions, teaming up. It was about 18 minutes. The match, I rate if I'm going to do my Meltzer rating because, Dave Meltzer, you're useless, but every time I hear you say, you're like, you know, and how I inherited that in my own show and podcast. Mm-hmm. The match was really like a 375. The final five minutes was good, but it lacked the drama. These are two guys who were tag team champions for 220-something days. They're not coming in with any intensity. They're not beating each other. They're having kind of like a technical match. It's not like Seth versus Dean for the IC belt at TLC. That match was atrocious. You know, this one, at least they were trying to one-up each other. And then Kenny almost, you know, got snuck upon on when Hangman Page tried to do his own finisher called the One-Winged Angel. Reserve that for the game, guys. We're going to reserve that if it's cool or not cool. Um, And then end up where he was able to reverse it and Kenny got the pin Kenny won. So he's going against Moxley. Moxley and him had the first match at the pay-per-view um, that was lights out or basically their way of no holds barred the saying that the records don't matter anymore. Blah, blah, blah. Records don't matter. Match could have been a little better. Young Bucks FTR. That was fun. That was fine. Young Bucks came in with the condition of if they lost, they would never get another title shot at it. Just like the way Cody did was saying, hey, if I lost the AEW championship match against Jericho, I would never challenge again. Well, guess what? What does that tell us? That the young books were going to win, but it was enjoyable. The whole concept where they were the each other's antithesis of one another, because you know the revivals are no flips, just fists, and young books are super kicks and flips all the day, every day. Enjoyable match. Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. Take it what it is. Um, they've really kind of devalued the AEW women's division, and it's probably because they don't have anybody to build on fully yet. They're really using NWA to propel with Thunder Rose and Serena Deeb and Allison K to kind of do some stuff in there. So that's a little bit of adventure. Jericho versus MJF give or take. I wasn't really excited for it because the whole thing was MJF was like, if I win, because they, they've had this little fun uh, courting of one another because MJF wants to join the inner circle. So if MJF won against Jericho in, the, um, in their match, he would join the inner circle, which is a stable consisting of Jericho, Jake Hager, um, Proud and Powerful, which is Ortiz and Santana, and then Sammy Guevara. MJF, I thought, I thought there was going to be a turn. I thought that they were going, somebody in there, which was proud, powerful, who I would have chosen, was going to betray Jericho and then um, help MJF win. I'll be his new staple. But instead, MJF rolls up the ties and gets in. So I know they're going to go for more of the whole like sleeper cell idea. Was like, now he's going to break everything from within. But not crazy about it, partially because too many guys in the staple. I get it, but stables, as good as they are, are also as bad, especially if you have a lot of heel stables. Um, Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy wins. They had an uh, elite deletion match. Don't care. I'm still kind of pissy pants about how you let Matt Hardy continue after clearly getting knocked the hell out. Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley. Holy crap, man. That was good wrestling. It was an I Quit match. Um, I sent you guys what I would consider to be one of the best I Quit matches I've seen, which was Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA when he tries to stab in the eye. Hmm. Long story short, the whole idea is that Eddie, you know, sold his soul to the devil to get his title shot. Sold out, attacked from behind, and he wants his chance. Eddie, I love you. Eddie Kingston, I always hype you up because I think you've been a highlight of what a good promo looks like without scripts and everything. Your ring gear is not that good. You look like kind of a cosplay Green Power Ranger, but I love you. You are good. Um, the match was good. The match was intense. How the match ended was um, Moxley had kind of like Kingston in a chokehold, but wrapped barbed wire around his neck and his forearms to choke him out. There was blood. It was gritty. And the idea of barbed wire poking through a person's throat, 
yeah, I will quit too. And then Eddie's post-match on Being Elite, which you guys can watch on YouTube, he gave a very good raw cut uh, promo that didn't look like kayfabe. It was kayfabe saying, this is all I got. When was I supposed to do? I was supposed to happen. At the very end, you see what's happening here. Kenny versus John. Seems like Kenny's going to be the guy who finally takes the title off of, of Moxley, which is fine because I'm kind of over it. I've been over it for months. Moxley's been a victim of circumstances. A lot of the opponents that he had had gotten the Rona. So the storylines kind of froze. Um, but that's where we're at now. So that's where I leave you guys for the week. Okay. All right, guys. I guess that is it for us. We had a this – is, this is a very enjoyable episode. Uh, thanks again, Jeremy Taché, for popping on and and uh, and joining us for way longer than than uh, than we had asked for. So even more thanks for for sticking around a few more minutes. Um, uh, thanks to BU and and Freddie for for joining us in the live show. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. If you guys got an Xbox Series X. I guess you'll enjoy that. Your PS5 is coming out right soon this week too. I think they're both coming out. So November twelfth. Yeah, you guys are enjoying that. Um, while I am PC Master Race and got a Switch, so I don't have to worry about that. Anyways, that's it for me. I'm out. Peace. Peace out, everyone. Take care. Derek, and he's lost 200 pounds in one year, eating nothing but fat-free meatball hoagies. And here comes the first batter to lead off the inning. Barella digs in.